here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. <laughs> Give me a name. Like Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In, like in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am Rich Grage alongside, as always, the king of banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how is it going? So much to talk about. I feel like... there's It's a big picture week this week. There's not a whole lot of, like, let's review this show. I mean, we're going to review, of course, the UK Championship Tournament um, and a few other things. But there's not a lot of reviews, not a lot of previews here. But a lot of big picture stuff, a lot of weird stuff that we were very ominous about at the beginning of the year that is starting to shine through a little bit here, both with New Japan, with WWE, uh, with Flow Slam. It, it Very interesting week for people that are, are, are into this sort of stuff and really reading between the lines. Because not a lot of it is, is out but if you kind of if you combine things and and take pieces of news here and and, and kind of think logically, stuff's happening. And like you, I, you tweeted it out earlier in the year. You talked about it at the beginning of the year. The buddy buddy year of 2016 is over. <laughs> that is so far in the rear view. It is going to be a cutthroat year, and we're what January 19th, and it's already getting pretty cutthroat already. So yeah, the the bloodletting has begun. Um, we talked about it a little bit last week and we're going to talk about it more this week with new japan and kadani who who seems to have this uh he's He's a nutcase man (laughs) remember when he was a nutcase when he first bought new japan and then he calmed down for like three years he's back he's yeah i mean he he wants to go right after wwe which you know we'll get into later but i think i think it's a mistake um we've got wwe's mad at flow slam we have I just just all these UK promotions got played like fiddles by WWE. We got promotions joining WWE Network. We got Flow Slam signing new. Pro- it's just it, things are getting ugly. They're only going to. Why get is uglier. my laundry making that horrible noise? I apologize. One second. Hold on. Now this is your this is your dryer. Okay, it stopped. Uh, that was my actually my laundry machine, which I, I turned that. Wait, hold off on a second. What is a laundry machine? I guess washer. Sorry. So it's your washing machine, like your my washing machine. Why did I say laundry machine? I don't know what a lot. Yeah. So last week you buried me for my because my dryer was too. I really thought mine would be done by that because the problem is mine doesn't like I don't ever turn that signal. I don't know why the signal was on. Your washer has interrupted the show. It really has. You 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 yelled at me for my dryer last week. (laughs) See that's (laughs) this is true. That's karma. That's karma. Yeah, you got me. And now your washing machine has interrupted the show and interrupted my monologue there. And that and it was, interrupted uh, Louis' nap as well. I feel terrible. I'm sorry. It woke up your dog. It's screwed with me. And whole show's ruined. Cancel it. <laughs> it's over. Now you know you harassed me about what was in my dryer last week. Remember? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's in your washing? What are you washing here? 
Uh, I'm watching mostly basket stuff that I uh, I wear to play basketball. So shorts, shirts, sh- you know, underwear, socks, that sort of stuff. Compression pants, compression stockings. I got those in there too. Uh, and then scrubs. Wait, you a you lot wear of, compression uh, stockings? I do. I get shin splints and the, the calves get all sore. So yeah, How I got to wear the. How old are you? You get shin uh, splints? I'll, yeah, I do. I've always I've had shin splints since I was like 22. You're not so. even 30, right? I turned 30 in another month. So. And you're already getting shin splints? Oh yeah. Yeah, all the time. Uh, let's... I mean, is that an old thing? I feel like that's not just a necessarily like you have to be old to get shin splints. I feel like your body's falling apart. You're always complaining. Oh, it, it absolutely. Eyesight, is. now your shin splints. <laughs> Again, all these things have been happening for like 20 <laughs> years. Your hairline. I mean, you have all these complaints. Okay, about, all right, all right. About your no, these are things you tell me. I don't. I don't no, it's true. It's all true. My blood pressure is a mess. Yeah, it's Who's with yeah. you. You're like 29 years old. <laughs> What the hell's going on here? Or old at heart and physically. No, I, I, I just, I don't know. I play too much basketball. I think I don't know. I don't sleep either. I sleep terrible, so that doesn't help any of my uh, things. No, I've always had shin splints. I think what, what happened was, do you remember? Do you remember Stephen Barry's that store that came out like crazy? It was so it started off being in like college towns, and it just sold like hoodies and stuff like that. Did, did you ever Stephen encounter Barry's, a Stephen Barry's? They sell Barry's? like uh, sports paraphernalia things. Yeah, like so they sold like generic like Iowa State like hoodies or whatever, and it was great. Like everything was like five bucks, so it was cool to go, kind of go in there and, and and grab some hoodies and stuff like that. It was all very cheap, and that's why they you know didn't make any money and had to close because they overexpanded after that. Well, for a while there, do you remember when they had those Stefan Marbury shoes? Oh, the, the, the Starberries, the, 10, the 1099 sneakers. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that's a good idea. 1099 for a basketball shoe. How could this go wrong? Be me being the cheapskate, right? Sure. Here's where you insert your cheapskate joke. Um, then I proceeded to play in those shoes, which is the worst idea ever. And pretty much like there was one time where I, I I came down with a rebound and I landed flat on those, and I could just feel my shins just exploding. It was, it, and they've hurt like almost every time I play basketball since. The then, whole so. Starberry gimmick was that sneakers don't have to cost $150. They're all the same. I will <laughs> right. I will sell and I bought $11 sneakers. Right, and I bought You're it. You're here to tell the listeners that's not true. That was not true at all, yes, and now I buy $110 sneakers every time. You so. got what you paid for with the with these yes. Starberries. <laughs> and now I have to wear compression stockings to keep my shin splints from. Speaking of being a cheapskate, Rich, did you get your free flowers today? Yes, from unnamed advertisers come to, uh, coming soon. Advertiser, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. See, I'm glad you said unnamed advertiser because they didn't pay us this week. No, they didn't pay so us this week. They didn't say who they are. But we were both sent these lovely bouquets of flowers today. Okay. Which. <laughs> the idea that we're the podcast to sell flowers. I love it. That, that means they, they, they know we're big time, though. They're like, these guys can sell anything. Joe Lanza can sell, you know, ice to an, igloo, or, you know, ice to an Eskimo. I mean, that, that no problem. Like, you're, you're the man. And that's why, they, that's why Insert Random Company has decided the Voice Wrestling Flagship podcast, podcast and that audience is perfect for our, bo- our, our home delivery bouquets. I guarantee you we sell some home delivery bouquets. Oh, absolutely. I guarantee yeah, people you just buy them just like have them in their house because people just love us. And people, buy, you know. We're talking about it already and they haven't even paid us yet. Right, yeah, we, we, but, but what, we're excited about this. The one thing get here was I knew you were going to try to pull this move because you're a cheapskate, okay? Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to rush home before the nurse, destroy the evidence, and make it out like you stopped on the way home to buy her some flowers. Now, did this work out for you? Uh, it didn't work. Well, it, yes and no. So what happened was is I pulled up to the house, and it was raining all day, and I see the package still out there, and I'm like, God damn it, because like, I know they rang. 
And you, Michelle, she works nights, uh, of course, so she was sleeping during the day. She has a little sign on her door that says, you know, do not ring the doorbell, because if they, they ring the doorbell, the dogs go nuts for, like, the next four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you know that. Like, the doorbell goes once, and for the next two days, every time there's a noise, it's that person that was at the door. So uh, she has a little note that says, do not ring the doorbell. Well, I noticed leaving this morning that the, the note was on the table for some reason. She she had moved it. So then when I saw that package there, I said, oh, no, they rang the doorbell. She's not going to be happy about that. So I walk in, and she's getting ready for work, and I said, oh, did you get a present in the mail? And she goes, no, what present? And I said, you didn't hear, they didn't ring the doorbell. You didn't get a present. And she goes, oh, they did ring a doorbell. What is it? What did I get? And I said, well, go out there and find out. So I made her go out in the rain to get a package. <laughs> she brought it in. And knowing full well that this was my whole plan. So she brings it in and goes, what did I get? Why did I get it? What, 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 what reason is this? And I said, I, you know, sometimes, sometimes a lady just needs a gift, right? And she was like, oh, okay. And then starts opening and opening. And she goes, oh, my God, flowers. What did I do to deserve this? And I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, sometimes I just do it. So she's opening. She puts them in the vase. She's getting the water ready. She's like, oh, my God. She starts, she's like, oh, you know, what, what should I cut? What are the instructions? So this goes on. I mean, we're like 15, 20 minutes into this already. Mm-hmm. She's loving it. She's taking pictures. She's got all this sort of thing. And I'm like, I'm trying to like walk into the other room and avoid the conversation because I know like she's going to just look at me and go like, wait a minute. Why did I get these again? Like, what, what's going on? So then she opens up a card. And goes, you motherfucker! And I come in, and it says, you know, oh, hi, Rich, or what? I forgot what our what the card said, but it was something like, hey, so and so, like, thanks for telling your listeners about that. And she's like, you motherfucker, this is for your podcast. And I was like, well, hey, you know, yes, you got it anyway. The card said, uh, uh, hello, Joe, thank you for telling your listeners yes, about. Hello, Rich, thank you for telling yes. our listeners. So, so she was looking at it, and she's like, and initially she didn't notice it right away. I know she like read it, and then kind of looked away, and I was like, oh, good, Phew. And she read it again. What you motherfucker? This is for your podcast. And I said, "Hey, hey, see, did you want the flowers or not?" So <laughs> that's that's the problem. See, it's not just enough for these women to get flowers; they got to look for a card. So because she went on the hunt for this card, that's how exactly, you got right. caught. Because they want to see like a little note that you wrote them or some gimmick. You know what I mean? It, 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 just be happy with the flowers. You know what? What do you got to go looking for a card for? So she went hunting for a card, and now and and, and you got caught out. Now, see, with my situation. What the hell am I going to do with this bouquet of flowers? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I took a picture of it and, and put it on the Twitter feed. We should really have them retroactively pay us for this week, by the way. But go ahead. Now, see, I won't say the name. So, yeah. <laughs> I, as you can see, I, I positioned it very in between my lovely candelabra and in between my wine rack is where I put the flowers. Which somebody pointed out. There's a lot of bottles of empty wine in there. Why don't you get those out of there? Empty wine? Because then the wine rack is empty. <laughs> but the, their bottles are empty, Yeah, but it's though. decorative. Isn't that more tacky if the bottles are empty? Well, People come over and they drink. Like I don't drink, but people but buy new bottles. Then. People Just come over to, and drink the wine. You know? Go to Trader Joe's. It's, it's, it's like two bucks. No, I understand that. I, I believe me, it's cheap wine. There's no good wine here. I wouldn't know. But good. then why do you have the empty bottles? Because it's it? that's way, it, that's really tacky. Because an empty wine rack. It, it, it just looks <laughs> no, a wine rack with empty bottles is more tacky than an empty wine rack. I would say. I think it's I think it's decorative to have the the, the bottles in there. Like, well, I'll get new bottles and replace the empty bottle. But what I, I'm just going to empty the wine. Then I just have an empty wine rack sitting on the mantle. Well, no, don't you have bottles that are empty? Are there, are there any bottles that are fully empty? Or no, do those have like a little a bit? A couple. In I'm standing right next to it. A couple of the bottles are empty, completely empty. Yeah. Okay. Take those away. Yeah. And, and, and fill, put new ones in there. That's way worse. If if something, I don't know, Joe. These things happen pretty quickly for you. Someone comes over and sees a wine rack, and then there's like three empty bottles in it. Yeah. Doesn't it seem kind of weird, especially if you're like, ah, I don't drink, guy. You know what right, I mean? Right. Because then they're like, Well, who drank it? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And they're like, well, you're, you're like, like you drank that right before they came and like had nothing, you know, no idea what to do. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's pretty well, tacky, people but. always give me a hard time. Like they're like, why do you have a wine rack if you don't drink? And it's like, well, I, I totally get that. Cause you know, you got the, you got 
you know, people that come over and they like to drink wine. Right. So, but so, unfortunately, you sh- you feed them like really terrible looking like white wine or what? I I couldn't tell what you had exactly, but it looked awful. I don't so. know what I listen. I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> All I know is here's some wine. Here's your selection. You didn't have any ex that took you through the, the whole wine section to kind of teach you, or no? You, My you ex never... was a borderline lush. She knew all about the wine. But see, she didn't drink good wine either. Like, she'd come home from work with a box of wine. Oh, boy. Okay. And yeah. then drink the entire box. And then I my night was just finished from there. Like, my night was dead from there. You're going to argue for sure? like yeah. Because she just... was an angry drunk. She wasn't even like, she wasn't, a, you know, there's like a horn, you could be a horny drunk. You could be a happy drunk. You could be a loving drunk. No, she was an angry drunk. So she'd come home and drink the whole box of the wine, and then she would just fucking, you know, get mad. She'd be like, you know, just just get rid of Yeah, that's – those aren't stories for the first hour. But, yeah, so I took a picture of the lovely bouquet of flowers that I got. Now, Rich, your situation was easy. You tried to pass it off on the nurse, right? Right. I have to use these flowers for evil in some capacity. I mean, they, I, I have to figure out a way – to take advantage of this free bouquet of flowers, right? I mean, there has to be a way. So I'm, I'm just running through things in my mind. I was talking to one of my ex-girlfriends on the phone before, and I was running, you know, I was telling her, look, I got to use these flowers for evil. And she's like, that's such a Jolanza move. I'm like, it is a Jolanza move. I've got to figure out who to give these flowers to. So, Rich, I went and got a haircut today. So, of course, if you know I'm going to get a haircut, that means Ashley. That means I'm going to visit Ashley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. But see, I don't know. We did we get the same bouquet of flowers? So here's the here's the move I did. Let me let me see your picture again. And see, I'll, mine uh... has like one, two, three. There's like five. There's like six or seven roses. Oh, I, don't tell me. Oh, I know what you're gonna. So use. then I even was, took it. Oh further. God! Like, listen, Rich, hear me out. Why you're was... never allowed to make fun of me ever? <laughs> we got the same bouquet. And take yours out of the damn bag. Why is it still in the paper bag? I don't know how these things work. So get the roll. You take it out of the paper bag. You throw it in a vase. Did you put the water in? No, there's no water. Did you put fish? The, the they have the food too, not fish. I don't know why I said fish. They have like the flower oh, wait, food. Did I, you put I that take in? Take it out of this gimmick and put it in the. Yes, you can't put it in a paper bag in the vase. I figured it would be taken care of. I got to put water in there. Of course, you have to put water. All right, in there. I don't listen. I'm not a botanist. What do you call that? A I can tell. Yeah, uh, I, I guess you know, horticulture. Horticulture. I don't know. Yeah. What, what the fuck? You know, I, what, what do I know? But I mean, so my my plan, and you know, instead of blowing the whole bouquet on one girl. I took one rose out, <laughs> brought it to Ashley. You're never time. allowed to call me cheap ever again. No, this way, is great. Like, I have, a, I have a supply here. I've got – this thing has – Well, not if you don't water them. They're yeah, no, I've got to take care of that. Yeah. i got one, two, three, four, five. There's five roses in this thing. There's a couple other okay. gimmicks. You know what I mean? Then there's all this leafy shit, which I don't know what that's all about. But, you know, so, yeah, so she got one. She was just blown away by that, and, you know, and I got a tremendous haircut. And then, uh, you know, and then, you know, there's the lovely Brisa that I told you about. Oh, yeah. See, all caps. Brisa, She's yeah. going to get one. And then, you know, I got a couple people on the Tinder list that I've been working on. You know, who was her nightmare of a friend? You should you should try for that, too, just in case. Oh, Allison, the cock block. Yeah. Yeah. Allison. Yeah. She's not get, she'll get a dead one after they die. If I don't put water <laughs> for Allison, the cock block. No one knows what we're talking about right now. No, that's such insight. But, uh, but yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, so I have to use this for, but I figured shit. Now, then my mind really got rolling. I could use this like five or six times. You don't think that's a good plan? Um, I could spread the wealth around, you know? It's not a bad plan. I won't, I, I won't, I won't, give, I won't give you good, but I'll give you, it's a solid plan. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. It's um, a little tacky, but that's fine. 
Yeah, but it's only the problem is if they come over, they're gonna see the like pick the part bouquet. <laughs> right, there's like a rose, like you cut it weird. It's probably still in the bag because you forgot it about this conversation. Bag. Where I really no, I know I'm saying, bag. but you're gonna forget about this, and then by tomorrow you're gonna look at it. And go, oh no, yeah, get, get, there's there should have been a pack of like uh, flower food that you put in the bottom there. You, the water you got to cut the stems too. Cut the stems. Yeah, of course. I don't know anything about this sort of thing. Yeah, you got to cut the stems. Well, yeah, now I see what you mean. This is like a paper bag. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just pulled the thing down. I can tell. And I removed like the one, the one. I won't lie. It didn't look bad for uh, being in a, pla- a paper bag. No, it, it it's, it's tough, not so. bad. They did a decent job. The mystery company that will. <laughs> that we've been talking about for 20 minutes. Rich, you know, I was going to um, last night. I was going to call you and wake you up in the middle of the night. Which I'm sure you and the nurse would have appreciated greatly. Oh, she was at work, so she wouldn't care. Oh. She would actually. She always texts me at like 2 a.m. anyway. So, I don't know if you know what's going on with this Noah the Reborn. Okay. I have not watched any of it yet, but I've heard uh, very interesting things so far. This show on the seventh was fantastic, Rich. I will go as far to say that the Noah show from Cork and Hall on January seventh was the second best wrestling show I've seen this year behind Wrestle Kingdom, and 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 that better than the UK Night Two. Better than the WWE UK Night 1. Better than uh, the Zero One show I watched, although that wasn't exactly stiff competition. I watched Raw and SmackDown every week. It was better than those shows. T- this is the second best. I've seen a lot of wrestling shows already this year. This Noah the Reborn, Rich. You got to go out of your way to watch this show on the 7th. Okay? We had one of our staff members, JoJo Remy. That's his last name, right? Remy? Yep. Yeah. Correct. Uh, a-, a friend of his spoke to Uchida, the, the new Noah owner. And um, Uchida had told him that the new style of pro wrestling Noah was going to be hard hitting with chest slaps and strikes that the fans can recognize as painful. And let me tell you something, Rich. This is basically a shoot fight promotion at this point. I couldn't believe my eyes when I watched this Noah show on the 7th. I'm telling everybody to go out of their way and check out this Noah show. Every match, there was a seven match show. Six of the matches delivered. The only match I didn't like, a lot of other people did like, which was the tag team title match. I thought it was boring. But there was a vicious headbutt towards the end of that match. And then the last five minutes were just out of this world crazy. The problem was the match was 30 minutes long and the first 25 minutes stunk. But the other six matches on this show, including all of the prelims, Rich, these wrestlers are taking it to heart. And they are just – this Noah roster is not going to last the entire year if they work like this the entire way through. Now, this was their first show of the year. So they were probably all pumped up. They probably just had a pep talk from the owner. They were given this new directive. But this – was a brutal shot. And, and I'm mad at the listeners. I'm going to yell at the listeners, Rich, because I know our listeners watch everything, and nobody told us to watch this. It's already the 19th. The show was on the 7th. No one told us to watch. This show was awesome. Did anybody review this show for our site? Uh, yes, we had JoJo, who um, I think did like a quick little recap of the, uh, the big matches of it. So, yeah, well, I, he, I don't he did. read the site, but that, that's besides I can tell, yeah. <laughs> the point here is, why didn't nobody recommend this show to me? Rich, I, I was so excited. I don't know if you saw the Twitter feed. I, I saw it, yeah, yeah. I think, I think part of that is just that Noah fell off everyone's map uh, at some point last year, where, where people were way into it. We were way into it for, for a long time. We would talk about every big no, major Noah show. And it's probably my fault because I know you watched a lot of them, but I just eventually said, you know what? Hey, I, I don't have time to watch these shows. There wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on. So I think that kind of fell off everyone's radar. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, though, if this one, now you're sort of mentioning it and, and, and giving it big praise. I know JoJo in our review uh, said he enjoyed it as well. So it'll be interesting to see if that sort of gains steam a little bit now and that it is something different and new. Because I, I think that was the thing with, with Noah is that if you were watching New Japan and you're watching all these other companies or whatever, Noah, there was just nothing 
to Noah. It didn't differentiate itself in any way. There was nothing special or fun about it. But the way you're describing it and the way I've heard people describe it so far, it, it, it seems like they've realized that we need to be different. We can't be New Japan light. We can't, we're not going to be New Japan. No matter what we do, we're never going to be them. Let, let's, let's carve out a style all to our own. And like you're saying, I, I, I guess they have already. So that's really cool. If I told you that Kano and Masa Kitamiya teamed up on this show and they faced Akatoshi Saito and Mohamed Yone, Oh no! And I told you it was damn near a four-star match. You would, you'd laugh. <laughs> I would not believe you. Um, I'd believe you even less than that Moose Mike Bennett match that I still haven't watched yet. But I, I promise you, Akatoshi Saito and Muhammad Yone beat the living shit out of Kano because the story here is Kano is trying to move up the heavyweight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But he's not just all willy-nilly moving the heavyweight and going toe-to-toe with these guys. They gave him the beating of his life, Rich. I mean, and this shit was stiff and brutal. And Saito, who hasn't looked good maybe ever. I can't stand the guy. He was great here. Even Yone, mild-mannered Muhammad Yone, was getting vicious in this match and beating the shit out of this whole card, Rich. The Alejandro Saez high 69 match. Again, I almost went four stars on it. And this was a prelim. I mean, they're just beating each other senseless. Rich, I'm telling you, you have to carve out the time to watch this show. The problem with Noah, though, which continues is this, the semi-main event, the tag match, Goshi Ozaki and Taniguchi defending against uh, Atsushi Kotoge and Marafuji. Kotoge moving up the heavyweight as well. That went over 30 minutes. Could have been a 15-minute match. And then the main event, Nakajima and Sagara, again, great match, but it was 32 minutes, Rich. These- yeah, everything's bloated. Yeah, and that, that's one of the big reasons I got rid of them is because it was just like I'm just sitting there looking, my eyes are glazing over, and I'm like, all right, I got way too much time in my day. You know, I don't have enough time in the day to sit here and watch a 45-minute, you know, Noah main event, which, you know, I know the match itself was, you know, 30 or whatever, but when you had entrances and the post and you know, all sort of stuff, hey, go. I mean, like, I'm sitting out for an hour now watching, yeah. you know, two matches maybe. I mean, an hour and a half sometimes to get through you know, the final three matches of a Noah show. And it's just like, ah, oh, come on, guys. Like, we don't need that. Nobody nobody needs that, especially when your crowd's dead, too. And that's the other part. How was the crowds? Were the crowds feeling a little hyped up, too, with it? Or crowds no? are into it. This Okay, that's good. That that makes or breaks a Noah show, really, yeah. for me. I, over the last few years. I mean, there, there's been even the most boring or even the most kind of mundane Noah shows. If it's in front of a hot crowd, which has been so far and few between uh, for uh, uh, um, uh, Noah, if it's different than... And the crowds are actually into it, and, and and they feel like they're invested in the product. That would be key because they just were last two years really. They were just not invested in anything that Noah did. Well, everything is fresh now. It's like yeah. they, you know, it's it's one of those situations where they hit the reset button. You got guys moving up to heavyweight, and you know they they had a, a junior decision match. O'Hara won the junior title, you know, vacant junior title against Ishimori. To me, that was the match of the night. I went four and a quarter on that. Um, you know, just a, a seven match show up and down the card. Just so stiff. I mean, this 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 promotion now stands out. And I, I'm telling you, they can't keep working like this. I, th- you know, they came back to Cork and all two nights later on the ninth, and they only drew like 600 fans. And it was like night and day. This goes to show you what we always talk about, Rich. These guys are human. And, and you know, in front of 1,100 fans, they went out there and killed themselves. In front of 600 fans, the show wasn't nearly as good. They're grabbing holds. They're, you know, they're working rest holds. They're grabbing side headlocks. Because why are they going to kill themselves for 600 fans? I have a better question. Why is Noah coming back to Cork and Hall two days later? Yeah, that well, they, their scheduling has been terrible for for many many years. Hopefully that uh, uh, they can kind of realize because that, that's they they their scheduling has just been a mess, and we've talked about it many times on the show before. It's 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 very odd the amount of shows they run and where they run and and, and the frequency at which they run certain things. People have told us a lot of times um, the rate that you get Cork and 
for will a lot of times depend on when you book. Cause like Noah used to did a lot of those like afternoon shows. Remember there'd be like a, a it's yeah. Tuesday afternoon or something yeah. thing like that. And that's because they got a bottom barrel rate. Like nobody had the place rented and, and Corker probably said, yeah, I have it for, you know, whatever. And they said, oh, okay, cool. We'll run the show. But like, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that, that does become a Noah problem at some point uh, and has for, for quite a while. So. Yeah, so uh, 20 minutes of flower talk, pro wrestling Noah, Noah the Reborn. I don't see any of that on our run sheet. So uh, this, is, <laughs> this is how these shows, uh, you know, we, the, we still manage to go over time despite being uh, a three-hour allotted window. But, uh, Rich, I want to tell you all about Dollar Shave Club, Rich. Are you ready to hear about Dollar Shave I am Club? damn ready, Joe. Let's go. It's no secret that I love their razors. You know I love their razors, Rich. I always get a close, smooth shave, and you cannot beat the convenience or the price. I used to choose between settling for a cheap bag of disposables and paying out the nose for a decent razor with a laser pointer and 17 blades. Just awful. Dollar Shave Club broke onto the scene and was a much smarter choice than either of those options. If you, the listener, haven't tried Dollar Shave Club yet, you're missing out. It's an amazing shave at an affordable price. There's no smarter choice on the market. And right now, they're giving away one-month trial of any of their razors for $1 with free shipping. You got that in your pocket right now, I promise. Unless you're – are you a cash guy? Do you have cash? I don't carry any cash. You're never a cash guy. Never okay, cash. well, you can, you, can, you can put it on the card then. One buck's not going to make or break you. $1 free shipping. And after that, just a few bucks a month. There's no long-term commitment, no hidden fees. You cancel whenever you want. Get your $1 trial at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. Rich, WWE UK tournament is what we intended to open this show with. Uh, that definitely went off the rails, but I think that's what we should uh, transition to now. I think it's the big story of the week. And um, there's a lot of subplots coming off of the show that I'm sure are going to eat up a lot of time too. First of all, did you watch both of the shows start to finish? I know you were I did. Yep. the weekend. You did. No, I watched both of them. Yeah, it was Sunday uh, kind of afternoon. I had nothing to do. So I said, hey, let me let me watch the UK. And it actually ended perfectly. Right when I was done watching night one on, on VOD, um, I was ready to go. And night two, it just started right when I finished. So I was able to watch them kind of back to back. So I had a nice, good, like everything was fresh in mind after Sunday. So uh, that worked out real well. I'm, I'm kind of glad I did it that way, too, because it was just like the whole tournament was in front of me. You know, it was three hours or whatever, four hours or whatever it was altogether. Uh, but that was a really good way to watch it. Uh, and I, you know, my kind of big picture thoughts of the entire tournament, I loved it. I thought it was uh, exactly what we've wanted from the WWE Network for so many years. It's like you got this network. Yes, it's a weird time. It's kind of odd. But, man, on our little bubble, people were going nuts about it. People were watching it. Like, I don't know that our, you know, beyond our little bubble, how many people watched it. But still, it was kind of fun to see on, you know, a Sunday afternoon or whatever. Everybody getting together, watching it, having fun with it. But I thought a few things that I really liked. uh, Production values. Uh, were fantastic, and that was something we talked about last week in terms of with Flow Slam, and it's like when when this is given to you for nine ninety nine, featuring you know wrestlers that you might get on those other networks, and 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 this is the production values you get. It's gonna be hard to get anybody casually to not want to choose this. I mean, everything looks sleek, everything looks good, but it didn't look like overly produced like WWE sometimes does. It had its own little fresh look to it. Uh, the arena was great too, and that's one thing that I really do love about any event that happens in the UK is like they have these awesome little like 
theaters and 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 whatever the hell you know these places they run are so cool and like WWE main roster stuff. Every basketball arena looks exactly the same now. There's no difference. They they put down the crowd. You, you know, you don't even see the the, the arena anyway because they just dim the lights and it's like who cares? It's you know the same video strips around the centers. You know, it's three decks. It's it's the same old stuff. Uh, indie shows they can run from wherever, but it's usually a pretty shitty looking arena. UK or uh, United States uh, Indies, I should say. So you don't really get that same diversity. Um, with this, it was awesome. It was just a really cool looking venue. It looked like a lot of fun. Uh, the crowd, of course, was incredible the entire night, really getting into all the matches, getting into all the, the characters. I did see some of the usual, like, ah, why are these guys chanting and singing? And it's like, that's how they react. Like, I know you don't like it, and it's not how you want boo and yay or whatever. It's not going to happen. This is how these crowds react, and it's not a bad thing that they're chanting some guy's name or or singing along or doing that sort of stuff. That's what they do. That's how these crowds react. It's, it's kind of a byproduct of of soccer. You know, the, these these people came up watching soccer and then generations of watching, and that's kind of how you react there. So I didn't mind the crowd. I love the crowd. Um, otherwise, uh, presentation wise, I thought Nigel and Michael Cole were awesome. I thought Michael Cole in particular, and, and I always say this too, when people badmouth Michael Cole and, and I do too, I don't think he's great, but he, w- what you hear is not Michael Cole. When you, when you're sitting down for raw or a pay-per-view, that's, that's, that's a super produced guy with Vince McMahon screaming at him that has to say all these buzzwords and all these things. This was Michael Cole where he was kind of able to do his own little thing. Yes. You had some of the tropes, the vintage, you know, this, that. I forgot who he said vintage about, but there was some guy that was like, you've never watched this guy before. Do you remember who that was? Vintage, who did he say Vin- vintage Trent Seven. That was it. Yeah, I was like, you've you've literally never seen Trent Seven before. Shut the hell up. So as far as other stuff, I mean, uh, you, it's hard not to. The wrestling itself was not, you, you know, <laughs> Bell to Bell wasn't great throughout the entire thing. But I thought there was a, a, a nice diverse group of characters uh, throughout the the night two show was very good. I thought that was well rounded. The night one or the day one or whatever the hell you want to call it. That was. The matches weren't great, but the characters were a lot of fun, and I love the profile pieces too. Like similar to what they did with the Cruiserweight Classic, that's something that I think is so easy to do, and I don't understand why they don't use more of those on on WWE main roster. There's no reason not to. There's such a good way to just in in 30 seconds or a minute or even two minutes or whatever, just get that guy's personality, get what makes him tick, get why he wants to win, what his motivations are, and a little bit of background to his character, and you're done. That's it. You, I, I learned more about all these guys than I know about anybody in, in WWE and Russia right now. I don't know any of their motivations. What, what the hell is, what is Randy Orton's motivation? I have no clue, but I know, you know, Tyson T-Bone. I know all about Tyson T-Bone now, and it took 30 seconds. So that, that I love the production of it. Uh, matches itself were, were, were fine. Night 2 we'll talk about here in a little bit. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. It was a really, really fun way to spend a weekend, I thought. I thought the commentary was great. That was one of the first things that stood out to me. Um, Cole was outstanding. It just goes to show he can be great when he's not being overproduced. They want Raw to be the way it is. They want SmackDown to be the way it is. It's never changing. But, you know, you stick Michael Cole out there and you let him just call wrestling matches and he's one of the best in the business. He was excellent. And I thought Nigel McGuinness, Nigel can be spotty on commentary. There's times where he's not very good and there's times where he's excellent. And this is one of those times where he was excellent. I thought this was over the course of the two days. Um, the, the, as good as Nigel McGinnis can get behind a mic. Um, so the commentary, A++ from me. I, I thought it was just excellent all around from both guys. Nigel didn't have any growing pains or bumps stepping into a WWE role. Um, I thought he was fantastic. I thought, yeah, that was amazing that he didn't have like any mix-ups, anything, any rough path. I mean, he was ready to go. And it's like that guy, you know, he was hired a, a month ago. And that, that's crazy that he was able to get that acclimated with it. Yeah. And, and it's like, we joked about when they hired him, it's not like, okay, yeah, he, he's British, but it's not like he's ingrained in the UK scene. This is a guy who's lived in the United States for years and years. He's been a United States independent wrestler since like the late nineties. 
So it's not like, you know, uh, he's getting in there. It's not like he's been mixing it up with Pete Dunn on progress shows and wrestling Sam Gradwell in a tent somewhere. Okay. He's been in the United States working for ring of honor and, and uh, you know, doing his thing here. So I, I thought all around, you know, his performance uh, was excellent. The commentary was great. The wrestling, yeah. the wrestling, uh, my, 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 my larger thoughts, it w- it very much mirrored the cruiserweight classic, but it, it, but it's like, okay, so the early round matches were all short and nothing really blew you away except for maybe the Tyler Bate Tucker match, which they put on as the main event, which I thought was clearly the best match of round one. Very similar to the Cruiserweight Classic round one, where the, the highlight match was Gargano versus Ciampa, right? I mean, that was the standout match of that round. I do think the Cruiserweight Classic first round was better than this was in the first round, but a mirror image in terms of you can clearly see that some guys were holding things back and that there were also some guys who didn't quite belong. And that's going to happen when they do tournaments like this, whether it's the cruiserweight classic or this thing, they're going to do a woman's tournament, maybe a Latin American thing, maybe a Japanese thing. You're going to have a few guys. You're going to have a few people. I should say, since they're going to do a female one that just aren't at the same class as everybody else. That's just going to happen. Okay. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there were some guys here that stood out is not being on the same level. And then as it progressed, each round got progressively better, just like the Cruiserweight Classic did. And I do think the Cruiserweight Classic was better than this each step of the way, but I do think that they mirrored each other in structure, in format, and it was scary similar to the Cruiserweight Classic. Um, And and that's why, as much as I like this, because I really did like this, I liked it a lot, Keeping it at arm's length. Remember how excited we got by the end of the Cruiserweight Classic? And, oh, my God, they created a star in TJ Perkins, and this tournament was great. And they're going to do a weekly show. And, God, if it's like this, it's going to be incredible. Listen, Rich, I don't know about you. <laughs> We've been burned, yeah. Fool me once, that's fine. I'm not getting burned again, okay? Because, it, you know, uh, someone on our board came up with this suplex Barry on our board. It was the first place I saw it, but you know, I'm not going to get super excited about TO5 live until I actually see it in practice. And uh, because it, it, as you, as we saw with the Cruiserweight Classic, 205 live isn't even in the same stratosphere and quality that the Cruiserweight Classic was. The show stinks. And it's not just us saying that now. Rich, I don't know if you saw that bit in the Observer. Yeah, nobody's watching it <laughs> either. It's lost. Yeah, it finished it, it... eighth on the network behind like old pay-per-views from years ago. Yeah, that's first run live stuff. I mean, that, that should be way up there. I mean, regardless of who it is or what it is, that's still, it's first run live stuff. Rich, it's almost out of the top 10. That, yeah, that That can't happen. (laughs) No, that's okay. And the UK tournament, I think was what two and three or one and two, or it was in the top three, both nights, Uh, whether it was first or second or second or third, I can't remember. But, um, but yeah, so I, look, I, look, I will, I, I'm going to keep this at arm's length. I need to see the weekly show before I get too excited about it. But just like the Cruiserweight Classic, I thought this knocked it out of the park. Um, and, and I think that there were some, uh, clearly some guys who stood out and they were all the people we expected to stand out with the exception of one. I think Wolfgang came out of nowhere. I don't think anyone expected Wolfgang to shine the way he did. And not just because he advanced as far as he did. Rich, I thought the guy looked excellent. I mean, he- I thought so too. Yeah, he, he wasn't. And, and you could tell, I, I think pretty early on, I think maybe it was that first round match against Tyson uh, that I started to say, and I could hear the, the, the excitement in Michael Cole's voice. I could hear the excitement in those guys' voice. They saw that guy and they said, okay, this guy looks different. 
he appeared, you, you know, there was just something different about him. And that's WWE. I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to love guys that are like that. Guys that look a little different, that are a little bit more rugged. Guys that that don't look like a polished, you know, like, and, and that's not to say a Pete Dunn or a, a Tyler Bate, you know, necessarily have the look of like a WWE superstar. But Wolfgang's like this big, ugly kind of, you know what I mean? Like, he's just a weird looking dude or whatever. And I yeah, knew that, look, that, that they would just love him. Here's what you're trying yeah. to say. Here's what you're trying to say. You're being too nice about it. Pete Dunn looks major league. I mean, his entrance, the way he projects himself, the way he wrestles from start to finish, you look like you're looking at a major league wrestler. Mark Andrews yeah. looks Same, major yeah. league. Uh, um, uh, Tyler Bate, he looks, ma- he has so much charisma that he, you know he just comes up. Wolfgang does not look major league. Okay, Wolfgang looks like uh, the guy at your local VFW hall. Right, but, but I could see a character running through their head like yes. immediately with that guy. Yeah, because he, because like you said, he did look so much different than everybody else. And and but I thought his work just and each progressive round he got better and better. Mm-hmm. And this was not a guy that even the UK experts had no, uh, you know, they had no designs on this guy standing out. No, Trent Seven was going to be in the semifinals. I mean, that was that was it. <laughs> there was no doubt about it that he would be in those. And yeah, I mean, for Wolfgang to be, I was sh- sh- shocked. I, I watched it without spoilers. Uh, and when I went back on Twitter, I saw a lot of people going like, "Oh my god, okay, they're doing Wolfgang." And then it was like. Wolfgang's gonna is Wolfgang gonna go to the finals like everybody and that's fun. You want one of those. You didn't want it to be just a, a very obvious one. I think one of the other parts that I I, I thought mm, they might be doing something with this is, is in the first round they were putting over Trent Seven as like people are saying this guy can win it all and I was like I don't really think anybody was saying that. And then when I when he lost to Wolfgang I was like ah, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. But I thought that was cleverly booked because uh, it still was a surprise that Wolfgang beat him and then uh, Wolfgang getting to the semifinals was a huge surprise too because everybody else was basically chalk. So it was good to have one guy in there. Uh, be a little bit of a surprise, be a little bit of a, uh, a, a somebody people could rally behind. And Wolfgang was the perfect guy to, for that underdog sort of rallying uh, wrestler. And it's not just that he advanced. He looked like he deserved to advance. He looked good. Yeah, he did. He wrestled yeah. very well. Um, he looked like crap, but he wrestled very well. He beat my man T-Bone in the first round. Yeah, you love I, your little I T-Bone. I love T-Bone. Yeah. I mean, and, but now he's doing you, you love T-Bone not as a wrestler, I hope, right? Like, no, but, but like. He, muscle manager dude. Now, he right? does this gypsy character now, too. It's yes. like, I thought that was great. Can't you see T-Bone? Wouldn't it be great if T-Bone just like randomly popped up on SmackDown as like a, a bookie who Dolph Ziggler owed a gambling debt? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be like an awesome thing? Like, any, any, plus he's like, he's got the British accent and he's like this really, he's wearing like pinky rings and he's got all this excessive jewelry. He looks like a real scummer. You know what yeah, I mean? He looks just—he looks like he's so greedy. Like if you touch him, you need to like sh- wash your hands immediately. After. I mean, like I he just, just looks like a, a disgusting human being. So yeah, and it's like, and it's like you, how you were kind of talking about how Wolfgang is just different from everyone else, just this gritty like indie-looking guy. I thought T-Bone brought something else to the table. He's a guy I hope they move forward with. I, mean, I couldn't believe it when I read the Observer. The Muscle Cat got signed to a contract. The Saxton Huxley. <laughs> I thought he was the most shindy guy in the entire tournament. I thought so too, yeah. And they ended up signing Muscle Cat. I couldn't believe it. Why does it say Muscle Cat on his tights? It's so confusing, this man. This first of all, he's not muscular. Okay, there's nothing. He looks like a dilapidated cactus jack. Is what he looks like. He looks like, you know what he looks like? He looks like a pre-cactus jack Mick Foley when he was like 22 years old and he hadn't gained weight yet. Yeah, Jack Foley or whatever, the, like, the jobber Foley. Like yeah. Jack Foley getting his teeth knocked out by Dynamite Kid on Superstars. <laughs> right. like yep, that, yep, yep. That's what Muscle Cat looked like. And it said Muscle Cat on his tights. I, I, I was like, this guy's great. This guy is a 1986 WWF jobber. I was like, we are never going to see the Muscle Cat again. 
he loses in the first round. I'm like, that's it. You're never going to hear a muscle cat. And then they sign him. I couldn't believe they signed muscle cat. I'm dying to see who, if you don't get signed, that's pretty embarrassing that they signed muscle cat and they don't sign you. But yeah, I thought muscle cat was clearly like the worst guy in the first. You know what? I got to take that back. What did you think? What'd you think of this match? Because to me, (laughs) I know which one it is. To me, what this match looked like, was you're playing, you know, 2K17 yeah. <laughs> online. Okay, you're online with your 2K17, and there's like two really bad Adam Cole creator wrestlers <laughs> facing each other. And that was that Joseph Connors, James Drake match, yeah. which I thought was the worst match of the first I thought that was well, the, so far and away the worst one. I, I missed the beginning of it. I didn't watch, like, I, I saw their kind of pre match promos or whatever. And I think they had them for those guys. And I went away to go to get something to drink or something. I came back, and I'm in the ring, and I'm looking, and I'm like, who the, who's who? I couldn't tell who. I just get on Wikipedia and like look at Google Images to try to figure out which guy was which because they were wearing like, the, like you said, it was it looked like a shitty Adam Cole creator wrestler. Where like you have to message the guy and be like, yeah, Adam Cole doesn't wear like like you got to tell the guy because he just is, he's watched like one Adam Cole match ever or he's looking at a terrible image or whatever. But yeah, they looked like they both had long hair, they both had shitty tights, they both had shitty bodies, and they both weren't very good workers. They, that was a horrible. They match. looked like dollar store Adam Cole's going against. Yeah, each which other. is not good. You don't want to be a dollar store Adam Cole. Not on this podcast. And they, <laughs> and, they, and they just and the match wasn't good. And you knew Connors was toast and wasn't going very far because Michael Cole couldn't shut up about how he was going to win the whole tournament. And you know Michael Cole, you know he's not going to pull a Vic Venom slash uh, Vince Russo and you know call out the winner just to put himself over. Well, that's a topical reference. I, I did that's that's good. You know, you know, you remember calling uh, what was it, Bret Hart to win the uh, yeah the Rumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to put himself, you know, so you knew Cole putting over Connors as strong as he was that Connors was going to be toast. He got by Drake and then lost in the next round. I thought that was uh, uh, the worst of the first round matches. I thought it was very clever of them. This was a last minute addition, but they flew Danny Birch in from Florida to work with Jordan Devlin because to me it was pretty obvious they really liked Devlin a lot and I thought they wanted to get him in there with an experienced you know solid worker so uh, Birch replaced somebody either you know one of these guys either that's Tiger Ali or one of these guys who didn't make it into the tournament and um, he faced Devlin now this was the most interesting match of the first round because the match Devlin choked Devlin was really bad in this match he was nervous his performance wasn't good. It looked like he got lost a few times. Birch worked his ass off and looked incredible and got over with the crowd. And I think the botched ending where Birch got busted open hard way and then the referee screwed up the finish. Now, a lot of people think the ref counted the three because Birch was bleeding. I don't think the ref. I don't think so. No, I no. don't think so. I think I think it was just a combination of two. It was two. Time. Exactly. Yeah. It was yeah. he got busted open and then the ref blew the count. Because I don't think the ref knew he was busted open at that point. It all happened at the same time. It was all too fast. That combination of events saved Devlin, though. Because now, Devlin looked like this mega heel because he got himself a cheap win because Birch kicked out before the three count. And he busted Birch open. And he attacked Birch after the match. If that chain of events doesn't happen... They're booing that match for all the wrong reasons. But by the end of that thing, Devlin's getting mega heat. And he looks like this little prick who undeservingly beat the guy who was much better than him. So they really lucked out with that. And then Devlin ended up being a big, uh, you know, a big heel moving forward in the tournament. Birch, I thought, looked great. I thought he looked like one of the better guys in the first round. What did you think of that? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, th- I thought so too. Um, as far as Devlin kind of going back to him real quick, I, I don't know if I 
thought he was as bad as other people saw when I was up on Twitter. I, I noticed a lot of people were really on him about uh, a number of things. And I thought, yeah, he wasn't good. Uh, and, and you could tell he was a little overwhelmed at first. But I don't know that the match was as horrendous as people were bringing up or that he was as horrendous. And it could have been a result of you know, my thoughts after the finish because I thought the finish was... As you said, it really worked out in a lot of ways because, like, Devlin did not have... It wasn't a good match at all, and I don't know that he projected himself all that well. I don't think he was horrible, like some people said, but I don't think there was... Like, when I was done, I was like, okay, well, he's just kind of a guy or whatever. And then that finish happened, and I was like, okay, they, they that's kind of a really cool thing. Like, they couldn't have scripted that better if they wanted to uh, for him to do that right. and be, like, that heel or whatever. So that, that worked out. They did get bailed out a little bit there. Just not that I thought he was horrible or that it really negated his horribleness or anything like that. I just thought he was just okay. But then that finish kind of then elevated him to then the quarterfinals where he was a big deal and he was one of the talks of the tournament to that point which was hard to do when you don't have really a stand-up performance which he did not so it was almost so bad it was good in that sense but uh birch yeah birch was solid and and i can't imagine they don't uh they, they don't sign him or, or do something with him just because that's your solid reliable hand that's your ty dillinger of, the, of that brand or whatever they're familiar with him he's been in that system before he seems like a shoe-in for whatever they end up doing for the hour show he's been at, in and out of the system for like half a decade and I think he got over more in eight minutes than he did in five years because he's never looked this good. He's never come off this well uh, in NXT. And look, he's usually in a jobber role, but really that's what he was here too. I mean, he was yeah. here to do a job, but he really got, and, and maybe it was because, you know, the, the hot crowd, the great crowd that was behind him and you nailed it before this crowd, the commentary was a plus plus and this crowd was a plus plus. And it's almost gotten to the point where it's not even worth it arguing with these people anymore it's kind of like how i wrote in the new japan book if someone wants to argue that gato's a bad booker you just have to kind of pat him on the head and treat him like a little kid and let him go on with their day it's like not even worth arguing anymore people who argue against crowds like this you just got to pat him on the head and tell him to move along and it's like yeah have you ever been in the room with a chatty toddler and it's like it's the kids just talking nonsense, but you're being – You just kind of like nod your head. Yeah, you just, right, just right, being dude, polite, yeah, you know, like yeah. a chatty toddler, like a senile old person who doesn't really know what they're saying. Like when people tell you that these crowds are are are, are get, putting themselves over or entertaining, you just got to treat them like a little chatty toddler. Okay, whatever you say. You know, yeah, you're right. Guido's a bad booker. You're right. You know, move along. Like the crowd was so good here. And maybe that's part of the reason that Birch got over so well. Yeah, you know what I think one of the things is as well is because he's now reached a point in his career where, where throughout his entire NXT run and Martin Stone and all that sort of stuff, he was kind of the young and hungry guy. You know what I mean? Like, they, they were building him up as, like, the next coming guy. Or I mean, he was still a jobber, but it was still, like, a, you know, this guy, a guy of the future, a guy of the, you know, because that's how NXT usually will do their jobbers. The, the jobbers are usually not older dudes. In this case, though, he was, like, the the KG veteran. He was a more, and, and I think that role fits him a lot better than, you know, up and coming Martin Stone or whatever. You, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's I think that's a big difference, you know, a big difference here is that when you, when you can kind of separate him from the guy on the rise in NXT, the, the the jobber that soon will be a star type thing that they do, and now he's fully just like, hey, this guy's just an older guy. He's a veteran, but he's smart and he's a good worker. That's a way better role for him than I think what he was doing in NXT for so many years, which by the way, can you guess who he faced in his first NXT match? It was ever? it's probably someone like ridiculous cuz it had to be like 2011 or something. Uh, it was actually I, I thought it was longer than that. It was actually 2013. Okay. Um god, I can't even So February 2013. I want to see was he in He wasn't in OVW, was he? He doesn't go that far back, does he? No, he doesn't. No, 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 okay. No. Yeah. He yeah. might be oh, FCW, god. but he's not um, yeah, let's see, let's see if they uh, they list it differently. On I think if you put WWE, uh, no, they don't have him on FCW. So yeah, he was just uh, okay. just NXT. Who was it? Who was his opponent? 
Uh, Enzo Amore oh, at a house show. How about that? Yeah. But I mean, I think you nailed it with the Ty Dillinger thing. He kind of reminded me of a Ty oh, Dillinger the, or a... Uh, sorry, not to interrupt. Here's a good one. His first NXT TV match. Who was it? Ray Wyatt. Wow. As, <laughs> May, May 2013. As Bray Wyatt. Yeah, as Bray Wyatt versus Danny Burch. And he, he's flipped between Danny Burch and, and, uh, Martin, Stone. and Martin Stone many times. Yeah, and so. I think for WWN, he's Martin Stone. And, uh, yeah, Danny Burch is a WWE thing. But, yeah, yeah, you nailed it with the Ty Dillinger thing. And I think he's a lot like him or a Juice Robinson where he kind of outshines the guy he's putting over sometimes, which, you know, you know, it's – and I think that's kind of what happened here. I thought he looked really good. But, uh, yeah, I thought uh, Connors and Drake did not look good. I thought Saxton Huxley was the most indie-rific guy of the first round. Um, you know, and, and just to go quickly over the rest, cause we can't do all these matches super in depth. We just don't have the time. Uh, Trent seven HC Dyer. I thought Trent seven, and now this is a guy who I've, you know, I've seen a ton of Trent seven. I'm not super high on him, but I thought he looked really good here. And I thought he looked really good on the next night. The thing with Trent seven is I think his, I, I, I'd like your take on him because I've been watching, I've all the progress shows lately. He's a guy to me who his best attribute is his in-ring charisma, which means his look doesn't blow me away, his work doesn't blow me away, but he does exude a certain charisma between the ropes. What do you think of Trent Seven? Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with that. I think more than anything, he comes across very major league, very polished, very refined, like that sort of thing. Like he, You would think that that guy has been in major wrestling systems, you know what I mean, in a WWE or whatever, because everything he does, they're not really any bad movements. Everything that he does, he's, he's getting a crowd reaction. He's he's playing to the crowd. He's doing, you know what I mean? Like there's no wasted movements. There's not a focus on on as much of like the in-ring stuff and, and, and really getting, you know, an incredible match out of his opponent or, or doing great moves, but it's all about getting the crowd invested, getting the crowd invested in every one of his little moves. He's very much kind of a throwback style, but I thought a very refined, um, yeah, definitely the in-ring charisma, but I thought more than anything, he, he came across as very major league and very, very polished, more polished than I thought he would have been. Cause I, I haven't seen uh, quite as much as him, but I was very, very surprised by how, how uh, professional he came across. He always, to me, overachieves in my eyes. I never expect as much as, of him that I end up getting. I don't know if that makes sense, but he he he, he always comes. And you're right; he's a guy who's a veteran guy, and he's better than you think he's going to be. Dyer, I thought looked good in losing. He's a guy I want to see more of. Of the losers, other than Danny Birch, uh, I think Dyer was the guy I was most impressed with, bell to bell, out of the losers. Uh, Gradwell and Huxley. We talked about Huxley already. Gradwell was the bald dude that beat Huxley, and then they did the angle with. Uh, with uh, Pete Dunn at the end of the show where Dunn threw him off the stage, which was an incredible angle. I thought the angle saved the first night. The first night had the good main event and the pretty good semi-main event where Andrews did some good things, but the angle really put night one over the, over the top to where I was salivating to see night two because of the angle. Yeah, and that, that's I, I 100% agree. Because if it was like something where I watched it live on Saturday, I, I don't know if, if I turn it off before that, I feel like I would have watched the finals, but I wouldn't have been as excited. But when I saw him do that, and that I'm sure that that was a plan too. I'm sure that that was the idea of like, hey, look, these matches aren't going to blow people away. We need some sort of hook, something to get people, you know, coming back. And I thought it was a really it, uh, subtle is not the right word because it, it obviously wasn't subtle, but like it was such a simple thing. It's like an old school Saturday night or an old school like just old school wrestling TV thing where like this thing happens at the end. And it's something that you're kind of you can't help but be interested in. Okay, well, what's the fallout going to be of this? It wasn't some over the 
top. He didn't have to destroy the guy and, you know, make him bloody and everybody had to come out. And all. so it was very much just like he, the guy lost control. <laughs> you know, he got a little too excited. You have William Regal kind of shoving him. It, it felt a little off script in a way, which is good. You kind of want that, but not making it too much of, oh, this is a shoot. This is a shoot. But it was it was cool because it's like you established that, OK, this Pete Dunn is a guy to look for. And what's the ramifications going to be? Is he going to get in trouble? Is he going to? So it was cool, but it all was rooted in what's going to happen the next night in the ring. What's going to happen the next night in the tournament? You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't an angle just to be an angle no. or an angle of, oh, he stole his girlfriend. What is going to happen? I don't care. I don't really give a shit if he gets his girlfriend back after this week. You know what I mean? It's, it's like the Noam Dar Cedric Alexander. I, I don't care who Alicia Fox dates. Yeah. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But I cared how it affected the tournament. And that's what they said. They said, this thing just happened. That could affect the tournament because because. You know, Gradwell, he, he's going to be hurt. He's going to obviously not be 100%. But are they going to let Pete Dunn go? I mean, that was the, oh, my God, what's going on? And then, like, they were really good about social media as well. I don't know if you were following oh, yeah. uh, WWE.com and, and, and their Facebook and, and Twitter were, were, were abuzz with, with these videos of, like, oh, well, where is Pete Dunn going to get suspended? Are they going to remove him? Like, and then I'm interested. Okay, cool. Maybe they're going to remove, remove Pete Dunn. And then, like, the whole tournament's open. Like, I don't know who's going to win then because he was my easy pick. So I, I thought that was so cool. And it was just a really good way of kind of unifying the the network unifying your social media and doing just a simple story that can get people hooked for the next day because it it wasn't complicated it wasn't over the top but it was just enough to get you excited and i watched it in a perfect time because then i was like boom all right let's watch night two it was ready to go right immediately after they that to, it, was, they, it, was, it was really they cool they told you pete dunn was special right at that moment yeah exactly that, they said focus on this guy this guy's gonna be a big that deal. moment made pete dunn a star i mean he would have had to have choked the next day that was a star-making moment. And then the video they showed of Regal and Triple H locking themselves in the room with him, uh, you know, to browbeat him for what he did. I mean, that, that – and, and, and Dunn, I guess we should mention, he beat Roy Johnson round one. Roy Johnson's a guy. He's a progress regular. Uh, he's a better character. Like he's all right. He's a better character than he is a wrestler. I've never been blown away with his wrestling. He sort of does like this rapper gimmick. Um, but, you know, he's okay. He's not a guy that's ever going to blow you away. I, I've never seen a Roy Johnson match that I loved. But, I mean, he's a competent guy, and, and he's got some personality and has some charisma, and he was fine. And he was the perfect opponent for Dunn here. He's all right. Uh, we talked about Wolfgang and, and, and T-Bone. We talked about Connors and Drake. So, I guess the, the last two matches we can talk about. Mark Andrews, Dan Maloney. I've never seen Maloney before, and if I have, he didn't really make an impression on me. I'm checking out his cage match now. Yeah, he, he works places that I don't pay attention to. I've never seen Maloney. Um, I have not either. He's, he's not a progress guy. He's not an RPW guy. I've, I've, I've never seen him. I have no opinion on him other than his, um, his pre-tape promo was pretty cool, and they signed him, so they must like him. I, what I did want to bring up, though, look, we're all familiar with Mark Andrews. He's a great wrestler. We've all seen him, TNA, PWG, wherever, um, progress. Look, I think one of the big keys was adding Mark Andrews to this tournament at the last minute. His TNA contract ran out at the end of uh, December, I think it was. They brought him in as a last-minute replacement. He really brought this whole thing together because this first night was really a nothing night until his match. His little five-minute match with Maloney was good because he was the first guy to go out there and do some flips. He was different than everybody else. We know he's a great wrestler. And then he had excellent matches on night two as well. I mean, think about it, Rich. Remove him from this tournament, and I think this tournament loses a lot. Everyone's talking about Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne as well they should be, even Wolfgang to some extent. 
Remove Andrews from the equation, and you lose three or four. How many matches do you have? Three or four? You have three matches, right? Yeah, three. Yeah, three. Yeah. You lose three real solid matches from this thing if they don't bring him in last minute. Am I going crazy here? Or was Andrews? No, you're not. I, I, I think more than just the in ring. I think it added some credibility too. Another it was name, a guy that that everybody knew. If, if no matter what, and I, I put him as our featured image when we talked about you know who are these guys or whatever. I know Ali Court and his his preview for the event said, okay, you know this guy. Like everybody almost know, there's really nobody that you had to explain Mark Andrews to. I mean, maybe a few people casual fans but most people that are kind of in the know know who mark andrews is and that's important too there's at least that you, you needed a few more hooks of like a guy that people are aware of i mean people want to discover new people people like that but it's nice to know that there's a reliable guy that everybody goes oh i know mark andrews oh i'm familiar with mark andrews it's not a, a complete you know open book what is this guy i need to know his story i need to know all this stuff and, and the commentary kind of put that over as well that this is not you know all these other guys you don't not know about they kind of said ah you mark andrews you probably know about they didn't say you know where he's from or whatever but they said you might know about this guy he's been a star you, you know you know this thing and that's i think that was important you needed a few of those guys and, and i thought uh pete dunn to an extent you got that but that's really hardcore is that no pete dunn yeah. you needed mark andrews a lot you needed mark andrews for one that like the semi-hardcores could kind of say okay i know who this guy is and it added a little bit of credibility to the tournament of oh that guy's in it and he left tna to come to the tur-. you know what i mean like that really did help uh more than just the in-ring i think it helped the credibility part as well and that's of course the in-ring it, it absolutely did because that match with pete dunn was incredible so it really helped oh uh, yeah bring that semi-final together and and i thought i thought really andrews in a lot of ways was the glue to the tournament i i, I really thought he was. Well, i thought he had a I, that was a great last minute addition and then uh you know they positioned it as the main event we really should have had better foresight for what was coming the next night but tyler Bate beat uh, uh tucker now, I'm going to diverge from the crowd a little bit. A lot of people were very impressed with Tucker. I thought he looked like just a guy. I, I don't know what other people were seeing. I don't know if I remember Tucker all that much. I gotta, he got a lot of hype. Let me right, refresh my memory now. with me then because um, he got a lot of hype for, for being one of the guys who, who, who was one of the better looking guys in the first round. And, man, I got to be honest, I just thought he looked like a guy. I Oh yeah, no, yeah, Tucker. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't do much for me at all. I, I, you know, so I, fine. But yeah, I don't know that I disliked it. But yeah, I don't. He was, yeah, he was I don't just know. A guy to was... me. He was just a guy. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I thought it was the best match of the first round, and he certainly held up his end of it. But I didn't come away from that thinking, "Wow, this Tucker. I need to see more of him." I mean, if I never saw Tucker again, I wouldn't blink twice about it. I don't know. But I'll trust the opinions of the people who have seen. It's the first time I ever saw him. Um, you know, but, uh, the thing about it is, and, 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 and we can transition into night two with a conversation about Tyler Bates, since we haven't really talked about him, Tyler Bates just had, look, he's 19 years old. He's tiny. I mean, how tall is he? He can't be any taller than five foot six, right? I mean, he's a, sh- yeah, I forgot what they listed him at, but yeah, he's a, he's, he's a, listed at five, seven. I'm not even sure he's that. No, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's no way. He's five. Seven, he's a yeah. tiny guy. He's 19 years old. Um, he doesn't have a flashy look. But my God, Rich, is this guy just bursting at the seams with charisma? I mean, there's just something about this guy where once he st- he just starts where and it's like he's in that ring and you can't take your eyes off him. And at 19 years old to have that kind of crowd connection, which I think is the special thing about him. Yes, he's a great worker. Uh, yes, he, he you know, but, but the, the thing that really stands out to him about me is the way he connects with crowds, not just here. In progress as well. Everywhere else that I've seen him, he really has a he, – he just knows how to connect with people. And that's the thing that you cannot teach. That's the thing where someone either has it or they don't. That crowd connection is rarely something that a wrestler learns how to do. It's, it's you either have that or you don't, and he just has it. 
I mean, he's great in the ring too, but at 19 years old to be able to connect with the crowd at the, at, at, at the level that he does, I mean, that's special. That's not something that necessarily you can teach. That's usually something that a performer just naturally has or that they learn after years and sometimes decades of being a professional wrestler. He's 19 years old and he has that crowd connection already. And it's not just here. It's every time I watch him in progress as well. This guy is just bursting with this with this, this this innate ability to connect with crowds yeah i thought I, I think his age does help a lot in that sense i and that's not to say that when he turns 24 people are going to stop caring about him because he has like still that ability but i think the age factor really plays into it too because when he's getting beat down and when he's kind of rallying people just want to rally behind this guy they want to rally behind a guy that it's so young and his story is great too he's just kind of an aw shucks kid that's like you know started when he was 15 or whatever and his parents had a like there's something about that story that's really endearing and he doesn't look menacing he doesn't look like a but it's a guy that you kind of rally behind we talk about it a lot with uh, you know we talked about it a lot last year in terms of the new characters that people connect with people don't connect with superheroes anymore people don't connect with with a roman reigns or whatever that, that that's not very interesting the cocky good looking gigantic dude with tat- i mean you know what i mean like nobody nobody likes that guy people like the underdogs, people like a, a Sami Zayn type. See, people like a Tyler Bate where it's, it's a little guy. It's a, you know, Steph Curry for a while was that way in the NBA where people just like the fact that, hey, this guy's small. He, he doesn't really look menacing, but he's really good. And that's kind of cool. That's a fun thing. He's doing, he's maximizing every little bit that he has. He's not a, he's not a God gifted talent. He hasn't been given this sort of thing. And that's kind of what I get with Tyler Bate. He's a little dude. He doesn't look all that strong. And, and that's fine. It, it works because people rally behind it. And then he's a damn good wrestler to boot. So it really does help. But yeah, that, that's going to be a guy that's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, his progression right now because after this weekend I mean he was on top of the world as a 19 year old which is crazy I mean that's just that's unheard of uh, in this day or or any day of wrestling uh, or any wrestling age as well so it'll be super interesting to see kind of the progression of him and how you know he moves on from here but I thought he far and away was the star and you could tell from the minute that match was done with Tucker that this was a guy they were going to rally behind that they liked and and to see him progress throughout the tournament was just a blast it's funny to hear you talk about him because you haven't seen much of him in progress I've seen little bits and pieces, but yeah, it never it, it never connected with me quite as much as it did here. And it's funny how you're talking about his underdog qualities and all that because of the way he was presented here. But he is a cocky as a heel. He is a cocky little prick, and he's great at that too. And he's a teenager. I it's like and and his and his his bell to bell wrestling is already at an advanced level too. I mean, the sky's the limit with this guy, Rich. If this guy was six inches taller, I would earmark him. I'd be confident enough in saying that he'd be headlining WrestleManias in a few. The, the, the thing that's going to hold him back the most, and size has never been less of a barrier than it is now, but Rich, he is tiny. He's tiny, and he's I, small, and he doesn't look like – it's hard to tell when you're 19 because, of course, you know, your body changes a lot. But he doesn't look like he has the base to get you know, a ton bigger. It's not like – I don't see him all of a sudden growing you know, four inches and, and gaining you know, 50 pounds of muscle. You know what I mean? Like that's not happening. Like that's – he might, you know, get a little taller or whatever, but he's kind of that's it's like it. Look like, at that's Pete, it's like look at Pete Dunne a few years ago, and you even talked about it a few weeks ago. You watched him wrestle live a bunch. Oh, of I had Chicago, no idea. Yeah, I mean, was and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't yeah. stand out at all. And once his body filled out, and he took on this bruiserweight persona, I mean, his charisma just went from like five to nine. I mean, and and. He's a little bit bigger than Bait, but he's just big enough now where he, I think, he has more of a chance. Uh, you know, it, it, I worry about Bates' size. I really do. And I will disagree with you slightly. I think Dunn stood out more than anybody else in the tournament. I know you just said Bates did. And look, that's certainly – look, I'm not going to argue with you very hard. They both looked excellent. I thought they both stood out. I thought Dunn really came off as the star of the whole thing, though. I think uh, Dunn is, is 
See, I'm not sure. I, let me put it to you this way. I think Dunn's routine and Dunn's act will project better on a WWE crowd than Bates will. I think Bates is more subtle. I think Bates is a more subtle performer. And, I, and yeah. I think he was helped more by being in front of his home crowd than Dunn was. I think Dunn is the kind of guy who can get over anywhere a little bit easier than Bates can. As they're currently constructed, who knows what happens to these guys down the line. I think Dunn is a ready-made personality with a ready-made gimmick. What do you think of that? Yeah, he's pretty much ready to go. I, I do wonder, and, and here's the thing. You talk about size as well. Dunn is not much taller. I think he might be shorter than Tyler Bate, actually, but it he's doesn't. Little, um... He's a little taller, and I think those few inches that he has on him, for whatever reason, just make an enormous. I think Bate is like right under that cutoff line to where a guy like Vince McMahon just might not take him seriously. Well, no, what, what I was going to say, and it wasn't necessarily the height factor, is that Dunn, even though he might be you know a slightly taller or a little shorter, whatever the hell he is, he looks bigger. You know, he looks menacing. He's got just a barrel chest. He just looks he like a bat. He projects himself. Yeah, he projects his, like, you see all that? If you walk down an alley and that guy was there, it doesn't matter that he's not 6'4". And it doesn't matter that he's not bursting at the seams with muscles. That guy looks like he's going to fuck you up. He's a, he looks like a, you know, he looks like an old school, like, amateur wrestler guy. Like, there was a guy in my high school. His name was Jim. And he was, like, the same height as that. And he wasn't a big bulging guy, but he kind of, he was, he was stocky and short and he was great at wrestling and you, just, and he would fuck you up, man. If you, if we played football with this kid, he would destroy us. And he was like the starting you know, guard on the team or the starting center on the team. And they won the state title or whatever. And he was the littlest guy on the team, but he fucked. You, you just knew that the guy was a crazed maniac and he would fuck you up. Cause he just, he was so strong and, and, and you can tell what that would done where he just looks, he projects very much of a strong you know the bruise weight it works like yeah. that 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 is the perfect name it's, for him because he's not menacing like he's not menacing in the terms of what we what wrestling fans think menacing is and what we've been told menacing wrestlers are forever but that guy looks like he'll fuck you up and that you don't want to get in the ring with that guy and he, he's and gonna he's gonna to that character too exactly he, he he harnesses that perfectly you know what he he looks like the bastard love child of taz and daniel bryan Yes, perfect. That, that's a good. Like if Taz fucked Daniel Bryan, this Taz is a great cop. I, I did never thought of the Taz cop, but yeah, Taz, ECW Taz. Like the first time I remember seeing Taz, it was like, well, that guy's not very big, and then you just see him suplexing dudes and and being a badass, and you're like, that guy's fucking awesome. Yeah. you know what I mean. And like, then Taz was the best. He's five foot nothing, but he but, right. but Taz projected himself like the toughest man on earth. Because think back to the first time you saw Taz, and you're like, who the fuck's this guy? And then, like, you're hooked. And then Taz my favorite wrestler for years after that. After our, that first episode, I went, well, this guy doesn't look like much. And then he, he, the bell rang, and he just suplexed the guy all around, pinned him in two minutes, and walked out of the ring. And, and, and just, like, he had that look. Like, yeah. And then that, that, Taz is a perfect cop for Pete Dunne. You can see a lot of Taz in Pete Dunne as well, which is, is cool. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 yeah, so to me, Dunne was – but I put Bate a very close second. I mean, there's something about Bate. Where, I don't know, there's just something about, I mean, you, you should probably, if you haven't already, Rich, I think you'd really enjoy them, a lot of the uh, British Strong Style promos from Progress. There's actually a really great one when Dunn first won the title, and he did the famous promo where he said he was going to use the title uh, to steady himself when he signed his WWE contract, because he's sort of doing the Summer of Punk deal. Yeah, you yeah, know? I have seen it. That promo is fantastic. All three of them are in it. Uh, uh, Seven, Dunn, and... Uh, and Bate, and all three of them are great in it. Uh, but you could really see how, you know, Bate always finds a way to, to – it's just he has that – Bate has that special something, you know. Dunn comes off more like a guy who really had to work 
to, 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 to gain that charisma. You know what I mean? Where bait, it kind of comes naturally to him. And that's why it's scary because, again, he's only a kid. Again, and the famous quote with him, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Still in my 20s. I mean, how awesome is that answer? I mean, just to, to think on your feet like that alone and then to, to just be such a cool answer. But, yeah, so night two was much better than night one uh, from a bell-to-bell perspective. Plus, it had the added intrigue of the Dunn story coming in. I thought the Dunn-Gradwell match was – was I, the finit Rich, it was a sub-five-minute match, but it was the great storytelling. Gradwell coming in injured because of the Dunn attack. And then the finish. Dunn just comes off like such a prick in this whole tournament. He yanks the guy off the off the apron and and almost wins by count out. Gradwell fights and crawls to get back in, and then Dunn I don't I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was just a buckle bomb or something, and then that put him out. WWE never does finishes like that. You know what I mean? It's like he didn't use his finisher. It wasn't like a millionaire fall. They played off the injury. He brought him back in. The finish was abrupt, but it made sense for the story. It was a sneaky look. It wasn't the best match of night two. It was probably like the fifth best match of night two, but it might have been my favorite match. I really Yeah, put him story. over again. It, it, it made it again like the clear idea that Pete Dunne is important. You need to focus on Pete Dunne. And, and that's, fine. that's that's all you want out of wrestling. You know, not everybody has to get over. Not every match has to be great. But, like, give me a few guys to really rally behind. Give me a few guys to care about. And this was yet another match that just a very subtle, simple story. And that's what they did, did with Pete Dunne this entire tournament was there was nothing over the top about him. He wasn't devilish. He wasn't, you know, running people over with cars. Doing, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't over. The, he was just kind of a dickhead that really wanted to win this tournament. It was going to take every little measure to do this. So, and that's fine. That's all you need. That's all you need to get a guy over. And then the Andrews match with Dunn, the semifinal. I went four stars on that. I thought it was an excellent That was match. great, yeah. yeah. And then the final against Bate. I went four and a half. I think you went four and a half. I did as well. Yeah. I think Meltzer went four and a half. Everybody went four and a half. Look, this was a great match. Borderline match of the year, contender level match. Um, everything you want out of a final is something like this. Again, the, the, the semifinals were better than the first round. The final was better than the semifinals. The tournament had really good escalation. Um, the story, of course, uh, Dunn going after Bates' shoulder. Um, and then there was that one great spot where Dunn did the one-armed powerbomb on, on – I'm sorry, where Bates did the one-armed powerbomb on Dunn using the injured shoulder, which – I thought it was great because it, it was sort of Bates' way of saying, fuck you, I'm going to fight through the pain, and I'm going to do this anyway. I saw some minor complaints that, oh, he shouldn't have used that arm because he needs to sell that. No, that wasn't the point of the spot. The point of the spot was that he was going to ignore the pain. That's how I saw it anyway. So I had no problem with that spot. Um, there, was a, there was some moments early in the match where, uh, where, where Dunn's working over his shoulder and Bate is just pawing at Dunn's face. Like, there were just little things. And these yep. are mm-hmm. two guys that know each other so well. A, 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 just a great match. By far, to me, the best match in the tournament. I think that's pretty much consensus. And um, I, I got to be honest, I, I, I thought they were going to go all the way with Dunn. I was a little surprised that Bate won. About halfway through the match with the story they were telling, it kind of occurred to me that they were going to go with Bate. But coming into the match, for sure... I thought that Dunn was going to win, but I don't think it really matters because I think both of those guys, whichever one you think got over is the big, they both got over tremendously. And, uh, and it seems like at least to this point, because remember I was critical of these two guys signing the $20,000 contract because I thought both of them were sort of on a trajectory rich where they could have maybe done better down the line. They could have made more money this year and they could have signed a proper WWE contract at some point, but they gambled. 
all three of the British Strong Style, it seems like they decided to go in this together. I don't know that for a fact. It seems like the three of them said, you know what, let's go in this thing as a group. Let's stand out. Let's be the standouts of this tournament. And let's take this gamble, and we will win. Right now, it looks like they took a worthy gamble because it looks like at least two of the three, and seven look good too, and I'll tell you, I give Trent Seven a lot of credit for making Wolfgang look as good as he did in that next round in that upset that you talked about earlier. This might work out, at least for Bait and Dunn. I don't think Seven has the upside of those guys. I, don't think, I think most people would agree with that. But this could end up being a worthy gamble for Bait and Dunn, but, Bait and Dunn, but we have to see how it plays out. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, kind of before we get to <laughs> maybe the, the, the negative fallout uh, of this tournament, um, when it was all said and done, or I, I guess we we should talk about this real quick. Uh, Neville Tommy End. What did you think of that match as well? And Tommy End making his, um, I, I guess debut. Uh, you, I, I suppose has he debuted before? I don't think this he, point. He this was his like TV. proper debut, right? Yeah, I didn't think he, he was on. Works. Did, did they even hint him on NXT yet, or this is this is proper all the way? I I lose track because we get so many spoilers and videos of people. I, I lose track of what the hell was even on TV. So he never. There's been nothing of him. No videos. No one. Nah, nothing, he's right? working as Alistair Black on the road. Yeah, okay. But in front of this crowd, I think they were very smart to bring him out as Tommy End. When they brought him out, um, it was a mystery opponent for Neville, which mm-hmm. – um, and, and I thought when they brought him out and his name popped up, I thought they were going to do, do the deal like they did with Kenta and like they did with Prince Devitt where the name – Oh, where he's like, hey, this is my new name. Don't – please, don't. It's okay. Yeah, I'm, where, I'm just, where the name – I want to change my name. It wasn't them. Like, yeah, that's what... – where, where the name on the board fades away and then the new name pops up. Exactly, done that yeah. a couple times with different people, and I thought that they were going to do that here, but they didn't, and I thought it was smart. I don't think the match was, any, was anything special with Neville. In fact, I don't think it was actually even very good. But it didn't matter because it was a great moment for that crowd to have these two guys facing each other on this show. And it was the perfect buffer between the semifinal and the final. Um, I think I think here's the weird thing, though. While I don't think it was a very good match, I think both guys were very good in the match. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. No, I, I get you. And I think the pre-match of Neville in there, too. I think that just the idea of Neville being there and coming back and sort of as this in a way, a conquering hero. Like, now he's sort of reinvented his career, and he's got this whole other thing going on with 205 Live, and he's really the, the, the one of the lone bright spots of that entire show. But, like, I think there's also this idea, too, that, like, because obviously Balor wasn't going to be able to do anything there, but just this idea that, hey, look, this is a guy who also came from this scene. This is a guy who, you know, you know has worked his way, worked his way, and, and this is what he's kind of become. And, and sort of the next step for some of these guys is, like, hey, I mean, <laughs> maybe not the best idea is that, like, hey, you can end up being Neville, but I think it's still a, an important thing to kind of show a guy who's had success and who's, who's kind of made it as well and, and show that in front of the crowd and, and the crowd still enjoys him too he's not like he made it and he's such a huge superstar that they don't relate to him anymore they still do relate uh to a neville slash Pac, uh still so i thought that was a, a good moment to have him come out and i think having him against tommy end w- w- was the best uh use of both those guys as well alistair black is a really cool name but at this point i mean you're letting people keep their names just stick with tommy end at this point i mean why even bother? yeah it's, it's interesting like i don't care i think that name's fine um, but yeah, I don't get why he couldn't be that at that point. Cause you know what I mean? Like, and, and like you said, I get it in the old days when they had to change everyone's names yeah. or whatever. And that's not a bad draw. Alistair Black. That's actually kind of a cool one, but it is kind of perplexing why they wouldn't let him. I guess he doesn't have the same cachet as other guys, but then again, he kind of does. So I, I, again, you signed this guy because he was Tommy Yen. You didn't sign this guy because he was just some dude off the streets that you thought you had potential with. So the idea that you wouldn't let him keep it, 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 it is a little strange. And then he, you know, he worked progress that weekend too which is will bleed into something else we're going to talk about, you mm-hmm. know, but he wrestled Jimmy Havoc actually the same day. So, but yeah, quickly on Neville though, who the fuck knew this is how you see, you never know with wrestling 
Who the fuck knew that this man, that Pac had this in him, to be this level of a heel? I mean, this guy is so good as a heel. And it makes you wonder, like, it makes you think, like, this guy almost wasted the first 10 years of his career being like this white meat baby face. He is so good in this role, Rich. I mean, how great is this guy? Is it? He just, and you know what I think it is? I'm going to I'm going to tell you part of the reason why he's so good at this. His gimmick and his character is rooted in reality. I bet it's he he legitimately feels overlooked. Mhm. You know? So he's It's simple. It's so simple to book wrestling. It's not hard. So he's just projecting that. And I mean, yeah. you know, he he feels like, you know, so now everywhere he goes, whether it, you know, he belly aches over being left out of Cruiserweight Classic. This was a perfect opportunity for the same character to complain about being left out of this because this is a guy who's probably sitting in the back at Raw every week before they turned him wondering why he's never put on TV, why they never do anything of use to him, and now they're allowing him to channel all of that energy that's inside of him and turn it up to 10 and project that into a heel character. And, and, and he's just been great. And even his look with the dark goatee. And one little thing that I love that he does, Rich, and I, and I know that you're the kind of guy that would pick up on something like this. When he does his entrance now, he sort of does a mock entrance of his baby phase entrance. Right. Like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I got to do this because you, you make me do this. But yeah, no, yeah, like, he, like... like that sprint that he does. And then he slides in the ring. And as a baby face, he would, in one seamless motion, run up the post and put his hands up. Now, pay attention. He runs down the, 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 uh, the ramp, slides in the ring, and then fakes like he's going up on the turnbuckle. And then he's like, nah, fuck you. I'm not going up there. I'm not, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what you guys told me to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. you told me to do it at NXT. Face the hard cam, go up. I ain't doing that shit it's, anymore. It's, he's just so good. And, and I mean, yeah. both guys were good in the match. I just didn't think it was, it was that great of a match. But that's okay. It didn't need to be. And here's the thing, too. That, that's actually an excellent – you didn't want them taking away from the final either. You didn't want these two guys going out there and having a four and a quarter star match. That wasn't the role here. So, uh, and then of course, you know, the final. So that was the UK tournament. Um, look, I thought, I loved it. I, I thought the whole thing was, uh, was a success. I thought it was very enjoyable. It was fun. It was easy to watch. Here's the other thing too, Rich. Both nights ran a little long. The first day ran about six or seven minutes long. And the second, the, the, the second night ran about 15 or 20 minutes long because those guys hit the ring with about 10 minutes left. And I think all told with, a, you know, the post-match stuff ran about 15, 20 minutes past the hour. So it went about two hours and 20 minutes. Again, these are things you can do when you're airing it on your own streaming service and on your own live stream and on your own network. You don't necessarily have to worry about squeezing everything into these uh, strict time boxes. So that was mm -hmm. another thing to make note of. And that'll be a relevant discussion a little bit later <laughs> with uh, another man uh, in the wrestling world, which we'll talk about in a bit. A few little notes about the Observer or from the Observer about this tournament. Uh, out of the 16 matches over the two days, only three went past the 10-minute mark, and two of those were less than 11 minutes. So not really any long matches, and, and we knew that when they packed in uh, the quarterfinals, semis, and finals into one night. But I kind of like the pacing of it. I think if it was too stretched out and these guys – some of these guys didn't need time. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have been any better if that Adam Cole created wrestler match had five more minutes. Those guys needed to be in and out in six minutes. Like that that was fine. And yeah, ideally some of the matches maybe, but I thought everything was a really good length. So I, I didn't mind it whatsoever. What would you think of the length? I had of the no match? problem with the length of anything in this tournament. Yeah. I thought I thought every every match that needed to get time got time, and every match that that 
needed to be short was short. And that's fine. That's exactly what you want out of a wrestling show. That, Like you said, that Pete Dunne, uh, Gladwell match, that didn't need to go more than four minutes. If they had an extra hour, that match might have, lo- le- you know, been, and God damn, George, Devlin would have just done 26 more chin locks, you know, in one match. It, yeah. You know, these guys don't need to be going that long. It, it's fine. It, you don't need that. It doesn't really tell a better story if the match is 10 minutes longer, unless it's a great match with the great people with a great build and all that sort of stuff. Didn't need that. The main event went long and that's all it needed to be. The main event and, and both the semis had some decent length and that's fine. That's exactly what you want. Like you said, escalation. I think that's a perfect term to use. Those first round matches didn't need to be 15 minutes. I, Nobody needed I, to see I didn't that. think there was a single match throughout the whole tournament where I thought that should have been shorter or that should have been long. Yeah, I, I didn't think I that the was same thing. I well. also should note quickly before you continue. I thought Devlin looked a lot better on night two. I thought he redeemed mm, himself he a lot on night two. I, I disagree with you a little on night one. I thought he looked really, really bad on night one to the point that he didn't even look ready for this company. I thought on night two, he definitely redeemed himself. And uh, I thought he was feeding off of all that, that heel heat he was getting too, which is good. Um, Bates, Tyler Bates became the only the second 19 year old to ever win a championship in WWE history as Rene Dupree in 2003 was 19 when him and Sylvain Grenier won the world tag team titles from Kane and Rob Van Dam. You know, Do you remember that of, moment, Joe? Of, were you in your den jumping up and down with La Resistance? I got to tell you something. A lot of people may not remember this, especially if you're like Case Low and you weren't born yet. But Rene Dupree was considered a super hot prospect at the time. Yes. Both those guys were, really. I remember that being the real hot team of like, these guys are stars. Like, if you don't make these guys stars, you're screwing Grenier up. Rene was a guy who people thought had a great look, but no one thought could wrestle. Um, but, but Dupree was a guy who came from a wrestling family. And was considered a prodigy at the obviously. I mean, he's winning titles at, and he's on Raw and winning titles at 19 years old. But he was a guy who people really thought was going to be had the potential to be a megastar, and it just didn't pan out for him. He ended up in all Japan during that weird Muto time, and then he became like a liaison, a North American liaison to some Japanese promoter. And really, he's completely fallen off the map at this point. I know he was affiliated with Wrestle One for a while, but. You know, you go back, I guess, what is it, about 12? Is it 12 or 15 years now or less than that? 10 years? I mean, it was 2003. So, yeah, 2003. Like, it's like 15 years ago. Yeah, it's, that makes you feel real he's old. Only yeah. like, he's <laughs> still only like 34, which <laughs> right. is scary. Like, I know you mentioned Paul London's only. Yeah, oh, my God. I watched it. So I watched – I forgot what match it was, but Paul London was on. Oh, no, I was watching old Royal Rumble. And Paul London came out, and I was like, oh, Paul London. What's Paul London up to? And I looked him up, and I was like, you're only 36? Yeah. Like, you should be entering your prime. And it's like, where the hell's Paul London been? Yeah, like, like, Paul London and, and uh, Kendrick, those guys, they broke through so young. And yeah. Rene Dupree, too, who – and by all rights, I mean, you, Rene Dupree looked like a guy. Rene Dupree is 33 years old. 33? That's – He's three years older than me. And it's like – it's like and, – and it was almost <laughs> 15 years ago that he was, you know, you know – in a in, in in a big spot on 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 the main roster in WWE, it's crazy. But he was a guy who, if you picture the 2003 template of what that company was looking for, I mean, he had a tremendous physique. He was tall. He was very good looking, and he had a ton of potential in the ring. He was, you know, that company loves the second generation stuff and being from a wrestling fan. He had it all, and it just didn't work out for him. I mean, yeah, his gas out of his mind too. He was just yeah, giant. And, and, yeah, and he had a lot of problems on the road. I remember Hardcore Holly beat him up one time over a rental car, and there was probably a lot of resentment for how young he was. And I think Rene Dupree is one of the people, which is now why this company gives pause, and they don't like bringing people in until they're 22 or 23 years old minimum. Because of, the, you know, I think Rene, Rene Dupree was one of the guys that, that ruined it for all the young people. 
Right, they're still children, and they they can't handle exactly. it. And, and, which yeah, might not be the worst idea. I mean, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't think. Look, it's Rich, picture. Idea. I mean, when I was 19 years old, I was a fucking animal. I couldn't imagine myself in a situation like that. How immature I was when I was 19, you know. And these guys are out there, and and you know, it, it's like we talk. The NBA had that problem too, like where there was that big debate, you know. And uh, pro sports have these these same issues. It's just you know. Males take a long time to mature, and I, I don't know if it's the best idea to have 19-year-olds, you know, to tie it in the Tyler Bate. I don't know if it's the best idea to have 19-year-olds, you know, out on the road, especially anyone under drinking age with all with the drinking culture that there is in wrestling, but all those. But that's that's an entirely different topic. But, yeah, Rene Dupree was a big-time prospect in those days. All right, and now the not-so-fun parts of this entire tournament. Uh, as people know that if you watched, uh, there were many, many things that happened throughout the tournament that were not uh, necessarily in the ring. Uh, there were promoters, and they cut to them from uh, Progress, ICW, and OTT that were at the event and shown on camera. And this started a, a firestorm of different things that happened throughout the week. Joe, what's kind of I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to tackle this. I thought I thought Dave did a fantastic job. If, if you're not a Wrestling Observer subscriber, this is a week to just kind of jump in there and, and read the Observer because I thought Dave, though he didn't really have to, and though it maybe wasn't the most relevant time to do it, but but in some ways it kind of was. He did a very good job of, of framing this UK tournament and kind of some subtleties of what WWE is doing and what, and what they've kind of done with these agreements, with these contracts that we talked about so much a few weeks ago, uh, and with, you know, the, the flow slam and all, it, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with WWE, but in particular, you know, rooted in this, this UK tournament and the guys that they signed, though this is a really interesting thing, um, that I do want to just mention real fast. Cause there was also some rumblings. Uh, ICW will be on the WWE network. That's a thing that, that that's coming up. Uh, people pretty much assume that progress is going to be on there at some point. OTT is still kind of a, you know, a, potential down the line or whatever, but I want to read this quote exactly as Dave wrote it in the observer this week. And this is one that definitely subscribe. If, if you're interested, this is, this is when Dave's at his best right here, but uh, th- this is the quote. He said, this is Paul Levesque's baby, not Vince McMahon's. It's been so long that people don't remember this, but when Vince McMahon was about to make his move and that's a move to kind of expand WWF, uh, it wasn't just a bold move into others' territories first. Before he made any moves into new territories, he worked with the other promoters that he later tried to put out of business. He asked them to send tapes of their top talent, and he put a show on the USA Network called All American Wrestling. All American Wrestling showcased all the top stars from different top promotions. At the time, the different promotions were sending McMahon tapes. They thought he was doing them a favor by putting their talent on his national platform. But in reality, he was putting their talent on that platform and then signing most of the talent up and running against those who supplied the tapes with their own former stars. Does that seem relevant? Seems very familiar. It seems relevant. I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, it seems very relevant. So that's, it's interesting because then there was some other news that came out today. Um, and, and we talked about this at length a few weeks ago when we talked about these contracts. That there was, uh, we're talking about the UK contracts specifically, the ones that are kind of lower money deals. And they were, you know, exclusive with the lowercase E where, hey, don't work for you know, these companies, but you can work for everything else. You know, it was kind of the, the public face that they were putting. That they, they was kind of, hey, you can't work for ITV or the world of sport. You can't work for what culture or whatever. But everything else, you know, guys, yeah, supplement your income. Do, take some bookings, do whatever you want to do. Well, this week, you know, pretty much almost exactly once this tournament ended, a lot of things started happening. There was uh, news that came out earlier today that um, uh, Flow Slam signed up with a new uh, company, and that's the. Uh, I'm gonna get the exact story here because I don't want to uh, uh, get anybody uh, wrong here, but this is, it, it kind of plays into it. So it was um, IPW UK, uh, and they will be uh, airing a super show on Flow Slam uh, this Sunday. Uh, they posted on their Facebook that Pete Dunn, of course, Pete Dunn of, of the UK tournament, uh, will now face Tom Dawkins in a bonus match for the live crowd that won't be streamed on the service. It won't be streamed on Flow Slam. Uh, before that, Dunn had been scheduled to face Matt Riddle, who will now face Ryan Smile instead. And Joseph Connors, who was also supposed to be on the show, 
had been pulled from the show entirely. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago and that I cryptically tweeted out how 2016, we were all playing nice and everything. Oh, this is great. Wrestlers can wrestle wherever they want. And 2017 is where shit was going to get cutthroat. And we're just starting to see it. And it's only going to get worse. And the other thing, when these, when the story of these UK $20,000 pseudo halfway WWE deals came out with the specific language that you would no longer be allowed to work for ITV slash World of Sport or work for the What Culture promotion. And I immediately uh, eyeballed that as bullshit. Just because those are the only two promotions that were specified on those contracts did not mean that WWE did not control the fate of all of these wrestlers in their hands and did not control the bookings of all of these wrestlers. And we're already starting to see it. They have the, it doesn't matter what promotions this contract specifically say, as long as WWE has right of first refusal on any of these bookings, you're essentially a full-time WWE contracted wrestler. And Oh, here's the thing. You're only getting paid $20,000 a year. This is why I say for the bigger stars, it may have been wise to not take that deal. And a lot of them didn't because you can make more money down the line if you just sign a proper contract. And you can make twice as much money if you even sign an entry-level NXT contract. And it's there's still and look, there's still control. And here's a perfect example. Okay. Do you think these promotions, like this promotion here that had them change their Pete Dunn match to a Yeah, IPW UK. Yeah. Why would you keep booking Pete Dunn? I mean, you're upsetting your your partner in flow. In, in flow, you can't book. Con- they pull Connors from the show completely. Okay, so what's going to happen here is just like I said a few weeks ago, and I don't know why people argued with me. WWE basically is in full control of these men's careers. William Regal can get in front of cameras all he wants and say, "Oh, in between their obligations to us, they can work anywhere they want." No, they can't. No, they cannot. Because as soon as it's a promotion. It has their foot in the door on some other streaming service, or if it's some other promotion that's not playing nice with WWE, they're just going to tell them that they can't work. This is what we talked about in the year before. If they, you know, they could just, I speculated that to keep these guys from working shows like this, they would just all of a sudden need them to be in full sale that weekend or need them to work this random house. They're not even doing that. They're just flat out saying, nope, you just can't work it. Go home. Interesting uh, and related one, and this is all from uh, F4W did a great job, uh, a great rundown of this as well. And uh, uh, this is the exact quote from them. In a move that seems to be related, given a tweet they posted, uh, Lucha Forever also announced that the main event of their debut show on April 17th would now be Shane Strickland versus Travis Banks after Strickland had been scheduled to face Dunn, who will still be appearing on the show in some capacity. Uh, very much related, the post, uh, the promotion recently signed a deal to broadcast events on Flow Slam. So just to kind of clarify here, Lucha Forever de- is going to debut April 17th. They have Pete Dunne versus uh, Shane Strickland. Everything's good, good, good. They sign with Flow Slam. Now all of a sudden, Pete Dunne can't face Shane Strickland, and he will be, quote, appearing on the show in some capacity. Now this, now this all goes back to WWE being annoyed with Flow Slam for throwing $3.5 million at WWN and signing up Evolve. Because WWE obviously had a business relationship with Gabe Sapolsky already, obviously wanted to do uh, potentially do business with WWN and put them on their network. Remember all that talk, Rich? And then Flow Slam swooped in and sort of took them away. And it's like, I don't think they're, I don't think the WWE side is upset with the WWN side because if someone's going to offer them $3.5 million, how can WWE be upset 
with Gabe and Sal oh, for taking yeah. three point five million. I'm positive the exact conversation was you'd be a fool not to take that, but we're gonna try to put you know you guys out of business. <laughs> it's probably what it was. It was probably a handshake of go take that money, brother. You cannot let that yeah. money go. Go run because we're sign not it right paying now. you run. that money. Because we're not gonna give you three point five million. And, and you, so you go and sign that right now, buddy. But we might want to put you out of business. But so not not necessarily put them but but now you're working for our competitor. You're, you're, right, you're tied in with, well, and it's like because I, <laughs> they're, they're, I don't see I don't necessarily think there's bad blood between WWE and WWN. I just I think they I'm saying they're gonna put Flow Slam out of business. Oh oh, listen, I have no and by proxy what they're not. Yeah, I guess when I say putting out of business, I'm not saying they're gonna they're gonna put WWN live out of business. They're saying well, you sign with them, but know that them is now our enemy, and we are gonna put them out of business. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, that's what and I'm I, saying. I don't think there's any bad blood. I, I'm sure it ended with a handshake, and no, you'd be a fool not to walk out of this office right now. I, Go. And when that doesn't work out, you know, maybe you can come back here. I am – listen, I don't know this for a fact, but just knowing the dynamics of the relation, there's no way that Gabe didn't go back to Triple H or whoever his contact is and say, look, I just got a $3.5 million offer. If you'd like to top it, we'd be happy to – go." you know what? He <laughs> right. definitely gave them the opportunity because there's no way that – we even said it at the time. He wasn't going to go behind their back and cut a deal with someone else, not with the cozy relationship he had with them. So now you see – and look – they weren't going to pay. It was, it, was, it, was, it was very much a sports thing where, like, you have a hot free agent or whatever, and it's like, hey, look, this guy, this team is going to pay me way more than you guys are. And it's like, well, dude, go take it. Like, it's okay. Like, yeah, you just won a World Series with us. But go ahead. Like, Dexter Fowler for the Cubs is, is a great example. That guy just won a World Series for the Cubs. It's kind of a full cure in that sense. But the Cardinals are throwing a bucket of money at him, and, and the Cubs are like, ah, whatever, go. I mean, we don't care. No ill will. And he was there, you know, celebrating the World Series at the White House with them. It wasn't any ill will, but it was like, dude, no, go ahead. Like, you'd be silly not to take Have that to money. Take that deal. We're professionals. And We're all professionals here. Go get, go get wealthy. Go get generationally wealthy right now. I, I, think, like, I think the way WWE sees it is they can continue to put the squeeze on flow because here's the other thing, too. Forget about IPW UK and Lucha Forever getting their cards screwed over now that they're part of Flow Slam with WWE yanking their, their, their $20,000 talents off of those shows. What does this say to all the promotions that haven't signed with Flow Slam yet? If you run in a promotion, Rich, and you use mm-hmm. a lot of these guys, you're saying, now, hold on a second. Do I really want to, you know, if I go with Flow Slam, is this going to be good for me long term? Because then what kind of talent can I use? I can't use ROH talent. I can't use WWE talent. I can't use the, he's like, what, you know, then what kind of cards can I run? And from Flow Slam's point of view, they sign up these two promotions and they can't even get the best of these promotions because their top stars aren't allowed to appear on their service. This is WWE putting the screws to Flow Slam, which is all very strange because WWE has money in Flow Sports. But here's the thing. They have money, they had money in Flow Sports. Who knows if they knew Flow Sports was going to roll out a Flow Slam at the time that they invested. Right. I think that's an important distinction that people don't necessarily make is that Flow Slam, Flow Sport, it's a much larger company than Flow Slam. Flow Slam is a part of, a, of the company, a very big part of yeah, that company, spec- but it's a much that, bigger. That we speculate is losing money, but, yeah. but, but the well, rest yeah. of it is, is very successful. The rest yeah, and the other stuff, and it's a big part. I mean, there's flow rodeo, there's flow, you know what I mean? Like, there's flow everything. There's a lot of different things. So so the idea that, that WWE invested in Flow Slam is not necessarily true. It, they, they invested in Flow Sports, probably saying, hey, streaming services, they're trying to get within any streaming services they can. I mean, that they know that that's the future. They know that it's not a bad idea. If there's some new technologies that they come out with or some new thing that they kind of get or some, you know, television, they want to be involved in that. I think that caught them absolutely by surprise that Flow Slam was a thing. And, and even if it wasn't, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a little bit of a financial interest in it because, you know, you might own them later. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the worst thing in the world. People also forget that, that you know, WWE, you know, they owned ECW. They're Baker and ECW while also at the same time kind of destroying them. So that's not unprecedented by this company. Like, 
and they've done it before. And and the other thing here is Flow Slam gives three point five million dollars to WWN. They offer nine million dollars to Ring of Honor and get turned down. WWE gets ICW rich for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> Eight nickels, yeah. Three year deal, fifty thousand dollars a year, one hundred and fifty thousand dollar deal. Flow Slam, and we heard this from the start, was throwing ridiculous sums of money at these promotions. And again, it would have been silly for somebody for for WWN not to take it. WWE swoops in, and not only like, they get ICW, but ICW is a group that drew sixty two hundred fans in November mm-hmm. to uh, to Glasgow to uh, whatever that I forget what that build the Hydro in Glasgow. Okay, they just did a show that drew sixty two hundred fans, and I talked about this on Twitter. I'm not even sure you consider them a, an indie at this point. Look at the crowd; they they draw some of the biggest, they draw the biggest indie crowds in wrestling now. For people who aren't familiar with ICW, when those shows hit your little WWE network, if you expect to turn that on and see WWE <laughs> UK, you might see a few familiar names, but this is a trash promotion that runs oh, trash yeah. shows. So I don't even, I'm not even sure if WWE knows what they're buying into. Okay? But I will tell you this, Rich. Do you think it's outlandish to say that ICW, look, it may not be great bell-to-bell wrestling. They I don't think you could even argue they're more popular than Evolve. I mean, when is when has Evolve done a, a done ten percent of a sixty? Has Evolve ever drawn six hundred and twenty fans? I guess at WrestleMania weekends, right? Yeah, WrestleMania weekends. I, well, I don't know. You've been at those shows. I don't know. The, the uh, Dallas shows they probably drew about a thousand fans, maybe a little more. But, but if you take away WrestleMania weekend for your salt of the earth, you're, you're common Evolve, tops. have yeah, they right. ever drawn a tenth? Of what I see, even at their peak, Evolve was their record. I think they drew 1,100, 1,200, whatever it was. That's still 5,000 short of what this company did in a major arena in Glasgow, Scotland. WWE got this group for pennies on the dollar. $150,000 total. $150,000 total. Flow, Flow is paying, is paying WWN $700,000 a year over five years. I mean, gee, I mean, you know, Flo just looks bad here. I'm sorry, Flo looks bad here. I know we just banged on him last week, and it sounds like we're picking on him again. But, Rich, I don't know about you. I got to call it like I see it. No, we're, that's all we're doing. We're, we're just reporting the news. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that's it, or, or giving kind of our opinions on this news. I mean, that, it is what it is. And it's it, all these moves and, and everything we've been hearing lately and everything that's going on. I mean, this is it, it's geared towards. They're, they're competing with Flow Slam. Flow Slam, you know, got in their space, and they don't like that. No, and, they do not. It, it, and they're, they're going to find ways around it. And, and at the same time, they're kind of building up their own little territory. It works twofold. They're kind of – I think this is smart stuff. If, if Flow Slam didn't exist, I would say a lot of the stuff they're doing is still very good. You know, building up the U.K., building up the women's tournament, building up the – you know, signing independent talent. doing that. So It's all great ideas. It's all very good. And, and, and often this is when WWE is at their best, is when they're, they're competing with somebody and they want to put them out of bit. The worst is when WWE has nobody even a threat yes. to them. Then they suck. Then they don't care. They sign garbage people. They don't care. You know what I mean? Like, this is great. This this makes them better. And, and, this is awesome and, and what look, they're doing. Rich, look who they're going after compared to who they're buddying up with. They're going after ITV, a major entity with big money backing. They're going after Flow Sports, a major entity with big money banking. They're going after um, – um, um, oh, man, I lost my train of thought. They're going after ITV. They're going after Flow Sports. And uh, and this is a this this is a warning sign to me to Kadani. Why would you want to fuck with this company? Why would you want to fuck with them? Because when they go after you, they go for the throat and they go after the big money entities. What culture too? Another big entity, yeah, with big money behind them. 
And that's who they're going for in one fell swoop in one weekend. And look who they're buddying up with. The small indie, you know, they make a deal with ICW. They're on the verge of making a deal with Progress. They're on the verge of making a deal with OTT, who, by the way, first had a deal with Flow. And now they're going to jump ship and probably end up on WWE Network. It was a limited. To be fair, it was a kind of a limited deal. Right, but they had their foot in the door at least. Right, they they said, hey, we're going to do a weekend set of shows, see how it goes, and see if you guys like it or whatever. And now they're going, oh, oh, bye. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Never mind, they came calling. Sorry, sorry, bye. And if you're (laughs) ICW or if you're Progress or if you're you're OTT or if you're Pro Wrestling Eve or whatever the case may be, that's another one that they're looking into, a women's group. It's like you have a choice here. You have to sit back and you have to say to yourself, okay, WWE is coming into this market. They're going to take our talent. We could either sit by and let them plow us over, or we can get in bed with them and play nice, and then they'll let us use Tommy N this weekend. You see, it's kind of a tricky spot for those kind of companies to be in. It's like, what do you do? I can see both sides of it. You know, Rev Pro has kind of stayed in their lane. They turned down Flow. They have their little, you know, they're aligned with New Japan in this new digital territory landscape that I always talk about. Rev Pro right now, they're aligned with New Japan. They do business with New Japan. They did not, uh, you know, they did not do business with Flow when they go. Who knows how much money? I'm sure that was in the millions as well. They threw money at Rev Pro. And, and they've sort of stayed and they're sort of doing their own thing. It's, 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 and this all relates to what I think, you know, Kadani really needs to take a close look at this because. It's like you just said, Rich. This company is at their best and they're, and they're most motivated when they feel like they have competition. And, and that's what fuels them. And you can see how swift and dangerous they can be so quickly. Look at the ripples they've made in what? A span of seven days? This all came right. together <laughs> right. very quickly. They don't fuck around. They put and, and and it's kind of subtly as well. I mean, if people weren't really paying attention, they're like, "Oh, UK tournament. Oh, these contracts. Oh, they, it was like boom, boom, boom." If you really put them all together, it's like, "Oh, I, I now I see what was going on. Now I get it." And we were trying to say it even when it began. We we're like, "Hey, the world of sport. This is a big deal. There's a big thing happening here, and they're upset, and they're gonna retaliate." And when they like, you don't want to be Jim Crockett in this case. And unfortunately, Kadani is you, you can't even is going full on Crockett. Here's the point, problem which... too: they don't even let you gain any momentum. I mean, they they decided to fight a war with ITV before World of Sport ever even aired on TV. Right, they did a, didn't they do a pilot or whatever? Like and, and, they, and the ball was already rolling on this tournament. And they're already, you know, competing for talent and all of those things. So, um, you know, this company is so big that they can afford to do these sorts of things and, and throw $20,000 contracts at 20 different guys because it's nothing to them. It's a drop in the bucket. But now I kind of feel bad for a lot of this talent because they're, they're going to get squeezed. Make no mistake, it doesn't matter what, it, what companies are on that. They, they control the living that these people are making. Right, they control that marketplace now. They control UK wrestling in a lot of ways, which is, is weird. It's just a few little guys here, but you can see the ripple effects of like, no, you can't have Pete Dunne. You know? And look at Connors. And, I mean, Connors lost this booking completely. Yeah. And I don't know what it's like. And what's he got the show for it? That weekly, you know, check coming from WWE for his twenty thousand dollar a year contract. But he lost the booking, you know. And it's like that sort of thing is going to keep happening moving forward. Which is why I thought those deals were great for some of these no names, but a little sketchy for some of the bigger names. And I could see why some would sign, and I could definitely see why. Look, I don't know specifically who turned them down, but. Let me just throw a name at maybe like a Travis Banks, a guy who has some potential, a guy who has a bit of a name. I could totally see why a guy like that would have turned the deal down. Well, yeah, and, and I think you've tweeted this out before. I mean, the best 
best thing to do right now is just kind of tread lightly, you know, do your little things. Because if you become a big enough star on that market and, and you become a big enough star in the UK or, or wherever that people want to sign you, you'll get a bigger deal out of WWE. I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, they're going to say they're not going to want any of these other companies signing that guy with an exclusive deal. So all you got to do is kind of tread lightly for a little bit, you know, take all the bookings you can do, have great matches. Because once you get on everyone's radar, the biggest, target or the, the the place that you know they're looking for you they are gonna WWE is gonna look for you because they do not want a big time talent signing with anybody else especially anybody that's that's aligned with flow slam in any way shape or form so you're probably if you just wait this out you know a few months you know six seven months maybe a year and WWE still cares about this which I, I i assume they still will then you're good you're you're gonna be fine whereas if you do it right now you've sort of you've you've gotten all the you you don't have the leverage anymore you as the the performer because we're seeing, like, a Pete Dunne has zero leverage right now. He can't do anything. No, he put his name on a WWE contract. And, and look, that's, right, so, that's a gamble he took. And he, yeah. he might be on Raw in three months. It might months. pay off for him. He might be on Raw in three months. I don't know. It, you know, it, it's like, but, you know, it, it's like he might not. You know, and it's like, but Joseph Connors might not be. You know what I mean? It's like it might not have been a good gamble for some of these other guys. Look, here's, it's like, in WWE, look, even WrestleMania weekend, like, are these Pete Dunne's and such? They, they can't work did any of these WWN shows WrestleMania weekend. I mean, these are weekends where if you wanted to, didn't Chris Hero work like eight shows in Dallas or something ridiculous, yeah, some ridiculous like that? Number, Seven yeah. shows or eight shows. I mean, you can't do that anymore because everything's going to be chopped up. You're either going to have to be a flow guy, a WWE guy, a ROH guy, and it's going to be hard for these guys. You know, it's, 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 you know, so yeah. And I mean, and one of the worst takes I saw is I saw people saying, oh, don't Will Ospreay and Marty Skrull, don't they regret signing with ROH now? No. God, no. Because no. in a year, they're going to get paid. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> what? They would, even if they weren't signed to New Japan and ROH respectively, okay, they would have been nuts to take these $20,000 deals. Are you kidding me? These guys, those, those two guys have the potential to be mega stars, making high six figures. They, they have a chance to be some of the biggest stars in the business. Why would they sign these $20,000 a year bullshit contracts that restrict what they can do and give them no guarantees of anything? They would. Those are two perfect examples of guys who would have never signed those deals. Right, and, and we've seen this on a major level too. We saw with AJ Styles a few years ago. He leaves, you know, TNA. WWE gives him a shit deal. He goes, nah, I'm good. You'll come crawling back at one point. Goes to New Japan, goes to Ring of Honor, works every little place in the world, busts his ass for two years, and gets a big money deal, and now he's, you know, <laughs> going to possibly be in one of the biggest matches at WrestleMania and is in one of the main events at Royal Rumble. I think Because I think, he said, no, I'm not going to take that low deal just because yeah, you're WWE. Right. I have confidence in myself that you're going to come crawling back to me after one or two years, after I go out there and I work my ass off and I do, I, and that's what Osprey and, and, and Scroll are going to do. I have no doubt that at some point their end game is going to be that company, and I think at some point they are going to sign with them. But there's no reason to sign a twenty thousand dollars stupid contract. No, God, no. You wait it out. You, you, you. Even if it's, even if they have an opt out clause, even if in four or five months or whatever, Rosprey, you know, even in a year. Well, they do. Well, the, be well a... Squirrel has a six month deal. Ring of Honor. Right, so right. At the right. end of that so, deal, he can pretty much call a shot. Any promotion in the world is going to be offering him a real contract, not a twenty thousand dollar a year. Contract. Yeah, lowercase e exclusive thing where eh, you know, let us know who you're going to book. You know, Marty so, yeah. Squirrel's end game should be a real WWE deal where he debuts on fucking raw or smackdown not twenty thousand dollars to wrestle fucking muscle cat on the network okay that's not he he's on a different level than these guys okay you know three years ago he was where pete dunn was he's not where pete he's a, a level above that now right same right. thing with osprey i mean if Os, you know when osprey's new japan deal is up he's gonna be able to call a shot man you know so no absolutely not i mean those guys are are, are where they are is a completely different place where the, where these other guys are 
and they're they're among the hottest you know free agents now in, in wrestling because that you you look at the landscape and it's it's kind of funny. Um, and I guess we'll we'll kind of transition out of this in a sec, but uh, you look at and I, even I'm seeing it locally with AEW, which you, you know AEW got a lot of shit for for you know the last two years of of just booking indie stars and becoming kind of the Midwest PWG, which was fine because it worked out well for them. They expanded like they've never expanded before. They got out of where they were for you know the past ten years as kind of a small scale you know Midwest indie. I mean their their business exploded, but you've kind of noticed the last few cards are they're not great. I mean they're just kind of dead cards with not these many guys, and there's there's still some fun little matches here and there, but it's not that explosion of talent anymore and you look at the landscape and you look at who's out there if you're a truly independent talent if you're a truly independent promotion that's not in flow slam that's not there's not many i mean you've got a very limited number of names i mean you look at these AEW cards and they're still very good and they're starting to kind of get at that okay we gotta start in flux you know now they're starting to book a lot more of the local talent and that, that's what i thought was going to happen and we always talk about this all the time that that when people leave a new group's going to come in they're always going to come. There's always going to be new people that are there. The guy you've never heard of in two years is going to be a big deal or whatever. But there's going to be a really weird period in between. There's going to be a period of, of, of huge turnover, huge change. I mean, we, we saw it with Dragon Gate USA. We saw it with Evolve a few years ago. And we're going to see with a lot of these indie promotions now. I think PWG is also going to have you know some issues as well coming up uh, in a bit. But it's fine. It's going to be a little weird. But the, the people will replace them. But it doesn't mean in the short term. This year is going to be a really tough year for those real, true, independent companies companies that aren't aligned with anybody because there's just not a lot of guys to have come do your shows. You know what I mean? There's not a shortage of talent. There's a shortage of names. They have to build new names. And it takes time to get people over. I firmly believe there's talent out there, but they're not – they don't have a name brand yet. Yeah, like right now, AEW, I mean, they've started integrating Matt Seidel again. You know, he's kind of come back. Davey Richards has kind of come back uh, in in Vogue. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, you you know – Michael Elgin is is kind of there. Drew Galloway is starting to become a little bit more in vogue, but that could only be a short term thing as well. So um, it's it's it, it's really interesting to see kind of how these companies are going to. Well, that's another thing. You've got yeah. guys like Drew Galloway working for some of these European groups that are signing up with either the network or or Flow, and then he's also a TNA guy. And then how does that work? I think <laughs> yeah. Somebody well, tweeted out something earlier that was just like this insane like you know chart to try to figure out where the hell guys can work. Like if you're Drew Galloway, what promotions can I work? Because you don't know. I mean, I'm on TNA, but I want to work ICW, but they're going to be on the WWE Network. So it's like, what? Yeah. Like, so is TNA going to allow me to do that? Is Grado, WWE is Grado going to be on the WWE Network? Like, even though he's a contract? Like, what? Oh, it's, it's so weird. It's, 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 we're all learning as we go along, and I think WrestleMania weekend is going to be a mess. I think you're going to see a lot of situations where guys get booked and then they get pulled because promoters just aren't sure. Or, you know, the, the, your, your corporate digital overlord decides at the last minute that they don't want you working somewhere. This, this is what – guys, this is what I was t- talking about a month ago when I said the bloodletting was going to begin and this shit was going to get ugly. This is and, – and again, this is only the beginning because New Japan's coming too. This is, just, this is only going to get uglier. You want to know how bad it's gotten for, for some companies? Uh, did, did you see who the guest star for uh, AEW and LaSalle is who the, in February? Who is the guest star for AEW and LaSalle? Adam Rose. Oh, boy. Talk about <laughs> digging deep. I don't think that guy's been booked since November. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're looking for yeah. names, man. That's and that's what I mean. That's a perfect example of like, you know, that, those guys are the ones now. Like a bull Dempsey now becomes like as as ridiculous as it is. Like that's a guy that people are going to start calling again now. Yeah, guys like that. Like it's going to have to be for your stars or whatever. I mean, that, it's going to have to be those guys for a lot. You can't call Roderick Strong anymore. You can't call Chris Hero until anymore. you get those new guys over. Until right. you get so it's going to be a weird period. It's going to be a very weird period for a little while. Until you get your Desmond Xavier's over and things like that. 
And here's the other problem, too. Then you have Evolve signing up your guys like Austin Theory, who's 19 years old. And it's like he's signing with the – like there's a guy plucked right off the market that could have turned into an indie name for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's plucked right off the market and, and is, is part of the – Keith Lee. Keith Lee's the guy too. You know, yeah, Keith you know, Lee. Now signed up. You know, yeah. signing, you know, signing a deal. So it's like um, – and this is why I said months ago these indie promoters have to be diligent in constantly creating new names. Stop relying on the. You got to start using those names that are going to disappear to put over the new guys, so you can build up these new names. So the talents there, they just they they need to to, to build the name value for them. So a lot of interesting stuff, and um, <laughs> to make matters much worse, here comes Kadani. <laughs> so I do want to give a little background here. Of uh, we, we talked about it a little bit, but Kadani had a uh, interview. Uh, for Weekly Pro Wrestling Magazine, and, and this was all uh, translated by Chris Charlton, a real good friend on Twitter, at uh, ReasonJP, if you want to follow him on Twitter. For, great for translated New Japan promos. I mean, just an absolute treasure uh, for that guy who contributed to our ebook uh, the past few years as well, which definitely you should buy. VoiceWrestling.com slash NJPW16book, by the way, if you want to download that. Uh, but yeah, he translated all the interviews, and Kadani is coming strong. I don't know. How do you want How do you want to do this? Do you want me to, do you want to give some background, or do you want me to just kind of jump in with what he said, and then you kind of interject when you want. I, I have no idea how you want to do this, and of course we don't have production meetings. Uh, well, so, well Kadani, <laughs> Kadani clearly studied the American landscape. Um, oh, it's, a, it's an insightful interview. I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about. Whether he's well, I, right, I, agree, I don't know. I agree know. with some of the things he's saying, and I disagree with others. I think that, um, look, his plan essentially is to show up in L.A. in July, run those two shows, and sort of base themselves out of Los Angeles. This is nothing new to the listeners of this show. I've been telling you this all along. To be based out of L.A., put a dojo in L.A., and basically run, uh, start off, you know, eventually the long the long game is he wants New Japan to be a player in this country. And he flat out says he's annoyed at WWE for, for the raid, and he's coming for him. And, and he seems to think that um, he can sell his show to the cable networks here on the cheap, give them cheap programming and get in with some of the cable networks and, uh, and give his company exposure that way. And then expand from California from there. I mean, that's really the short version of it. Um, the problem with that is I don't think he understands how hard it's going to be to sell pro wrestling to these. That's exactly it. Yeah. Here's his exact quote. And this can give a little context. Uh, when you ask what it is we can do, it is to create an American-based subsidiary and run shows there. In addition, it is to produce television in line with our Japanese content that can be sold cheaply to American cable networks. While we currently sell television content to Access TV, the most popular and visible networks have a high demand for volume of content available cheaply. Case in point, it, it's he's not, Global he's, Force Wrestling, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. And, and the, the problem's TNA. Jarrett would take like 20 bucks for that tape if you want to show his tape. And TNA just tumbling from worse network to worse network to worse network right. until their next stop is going to be public access somewhere, which we joke about all the time. It's like I think he's he's underestimating how hard it's going to be to get a decent TV deals here. Right, because he's not wrong that, that that they would take it for cheap. That's not a they problem. Want but they cheap don't want programming, to... but they don't want wrestling. And they don't want well. They want cheap programming, but they want to sell ads during that cheap programming. Yeah. 
And that's the it's always the problem with wrestling is that they have no TV networks have no problem with wrestling. Wrestling does really good, decent ratings for a lot of networks. Does really good ratings. There's a history of TV and wrestling of doing pretty well. I mean, these days it doesn't do quite as well, of course, because some of the promotions aren't, aren't, aren't great or whatever. But if you get a decent promotion there, that's something that a lot of people watch. Wrestling fans watch. Wrestling fans do watch a lot of TV, but they don't buy shit, and their 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 demographics are terrible. And these networks, even if they can get your content for five bucks aren't going to sell the ads. They would rather show a rerun of Cheers and get better ad rates for that. That's cheaper to them right. Which than having to deal with your, you, you know, and, and that's uh, not, not slandering Cheers at all. You know, of course, very good show. But I'm just saying reruns, and we see that all the time. We see it, with, they mentioned it with El Rey and Lucha Underground. It's like, all right, look, we're, we're spending a lot of money on Lucha Underground, but we get better ad rates for, you know, the eighth rerun of Dawn of the Dead, you know, that we're showing today. So what the hell's the point of putting all this money in Lucha Underground, even if the ratings are okay? And and I have no doubt that these these networks, he'll get in the room with some of these networks, but at the end of the day, he's still selling wrestling. Right. And wrestling just doesn't, on American television, doesn't have the cachet for ad buys that it, that it does. I mean, WWE had to completely, you know, NBC and all those, they had to, compl- or USA, and I mean, they had to completely revamp how they sell ads to get WWE some relevant ads. You remember that a yes. few years ago? Yes. Where they had to lump WWE in with other promotions and other companies and other networks and other things and say, and and just basically, that's why all of a sudden now WWE is sponsored by Coke and sponsored by this. Because if you just said, hey, do you want to buy ads for WWE? You're going to get, you know, lugs and, and, and JVC Kaboom boxes and shit like that. You remember those old days? Sure do. Now all of a sudden you're getting Skittles and Mountain Dew and these sort of things. It's because, you know, Mountain Dew does an ad buy with NBC Universal. And NBC Universal spreads that ad buy out to different, you know, entities, one of them being WWE. They're not selling WWE anymore. They're selling WWE as a package of NBC Universal entities. That's what you got to do to sell ads for wrestling is lie and say, no, it's for this. Yeah. And and then wrestling's part of the package. Right. But, but and it's not only. Yeah, you want the Olympics? Well, you got to buy wrestling, too. Like, yes. Oh, all right, fine. <laughs> like, all right, fine. And it's not just the shitty ad rates that you're fighting against. It's also all of the scorched earth that Dixie Carter has left behind bouncing from network to network and doing poor business with these people. Because it's to, a perception. Yeah. I mean, perception these, wrestling is, is still not good. These television executives, I mean, you know, they, wrestling to them is just wrestling. You know, it's just, they don't care about the different brand names. You're walking in there and trying to sell them wrestling, and they're saying, well, you know, the last time we did business with wrestling, we had the president of their company calling me a dipshit in an email and accidentally tagging me in. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, and you don't want to deal, like, you know, places like Spike and, and, and Destination America, they just, they want, they wash their hands of wrestling. They want nothing, because b- between all the, the ad rate issues and the fact that you got to do twice the rating to get the same ad rate, and then you're dealing with the cold carny aspect of who these people are, yeah. it's hard to get your foot in the door now. I mean, it plummeted WCW in a big way. I mean, Jamie Kellner went in there, you know, became the head of Turner Sports, and, and he's a TV guy and said, I don't really want my portfolio to have wrestling on it, and said, you're gone. Bye. And now you're trying to sell them on foreign wrestling. Exactly, right. It's just, <laughs> it's... so I think I think he's definitely underestimating um, how, how he thinks he's going to waltz in here, and because he's basically giving away his programming, he thinks that's going, they're just going to welcome it with open arms. I think he's going to run into a problem with that. Um, the whole idea of starting regionally in California, okay, I don't know. My problem is he needs to – once you come to America and start running shows here, circling this back, we saw how quickly it all came together and WWE snuffed out shit in the UK. If they choose to, they will quickly react to this as well and snuff this out before it gets uh, before it gets rolling as well. So this idea of starting slow and getting the ball rolling in California first, well, here's the thing. 
If you're talking shit about Vince McMahon and you're poking that bear and you wake up that bear, he's going to quickly find ways to snuff that out, whether that means taking your talent whether that means blocking you from booking proper, whatever the case may be. Maybe he sniffs around and figures out, okay, uh, maybe Kadani ha- does have some TV deals in the works of all these networks, and all of a sudden, Vince McMahon brings superstars back, and, he, and, and who's not going to take that instead of the foreign pro wrestling? Who's not going to take main event instead of the foreign pro? Who's not going to take 205 Live or the UK? Or, you know, he'll just g- he can give programming to these networks and undercut New Japan if he really wants to. They're the known entity here, okay? And, 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 and in order to undercut a competitor, he might give away his product on the cheap just to stop someone from getting going. And if you don't think that that's the way this company does business... <laughs> that's how he did it. <laughs> that's the way he's done it historically. And look, at the, look what he just right. did in, in the UK. It's essentially... They'll do anything to undercut people. And I'm not even blaming them for it. That's just good business. Yeah, you can also strong-arm cities as well. That's another thing that, that Vince has been very good about is, is strong-arming municipalities... You know, cities, and there, there's nothing stopping him from telling LA, well, geez, I was going to give you guys SummerSlam, but now I don't know. Now, if you're booking other, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he, he does that, and he's done that before, and he, you won't, you know, it, it won't stop him from doing it again. He's done it on small scale stuff with the Ring of Honor. Um, this is a company, you know, for some of their company, shows. I mean, they've done this before. They, there's precedent. This is a few years ago. This is the same company that they were so annoyed that companies were tagging along WrestleMania weekend that, and I think this is actually still in play, where they make deals with these cities where these cities promised not to rent out public buildings to other wrestling yeah, promotions. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. These other promotions get around it because they just use private buildings. You know, you end up using, what was the building WWN live to, to used this year? The ranch, the uh, Jimmy Dean's ranch. Just yeah. Eddie, you know, you were there, buddy. Yeah, Eddie, yeah, Eddie Dean's ranch or whatever it was. It's, it's, it's yeah. like, you can't get in a public building because WWE blocks you from getting in the public building. So you have to find an Eddie Dean's ranch, which is right. You're not in a park. You can't go to a park district or any sort of arena. Yeah. Sure. Or you have to go outside city limits. Like ring. And don't think if if new Japan started booking, you know, Chicago, that they wouldn't do the same thing or they started booking Chicago Ridge and cause you know, they probably want to, you know, book the the park district that ring of honor does. Well, you're not gonna be able to do that. Pick another place. Cause it's going to be that. And that's, it's going to be, you're going to have to do it in a bar or whatever. And I don't think Kadani really quite understands that either. Maybe he doesn't know that uh, – I'm sure someone has clued them into it a little bit. Maybe he just doesn't care. But that it's not just that they're going to – you know, the, the TV aspect, I think the live event thing and just the strong army municipalities is something I don't know that he really understands quite as much as that. I mean there, there's nothing stopping Vince from going there to L.A. and, and going from that area and going, well, geez. You know, it, or, I know it's in Long Beach or whatever, but you, you know, there's nothing stopping him from that district and that area of, of really saying, hey – there's this entity coming up here, but we you know we're a big deal with you guys. We come to you guys every, you know, we'll come to you guys every SummerSlam. He does that. He does these sort of things. It's no different than what he's done before, and it's no different than what he'll do again. And, and it's the thing is, challenging it head on is is really ballsy. I don't see really. New Japan as a threat to WWE at all. I see them as zero threat. The problem is you don't. They don't have to perceive New Japan as a threat to decide they just want to snuff them out. And I really right, think they you're do. playing with fire. Right, and, and, and people bring up the word monopoly all the time. And, and yeah, people argue about semantics. Of, oh, they're not a monopoly, and they're not an oligarchy, or whatever. This is the point. But they, even if they think that you're a speck of a competition, they stomp on you. Or if they're just you. annoyed with you. Right, they just stomp on you. Whether you think that's a monopoly or whatever the term is for that, it's very anti-competitive because you are never going to become a true number. The idea of a true number two in this day, and it will never, ever happen again unless some gigantic money mark comes in and does stuff. It is never going to happen because they're going to stomp on you the second you gain momentum. And you know who that needs to be? Mark Cuban. He's the X factor here. 
because he's got ties with Axis. Oh, Shark Tank was the show he's on. It was. It, oh, I see. You weren't making an X Factor TV show. I was not, show. sir. Uh, but that was good, though. You were thinking quick there. But it, 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 he had time. Look, back when it was HDNet, I can tell you that I physically saw with my own eyes emails from Mark Cuban from someone who asked him, hey, you show you got these Ring of Honor tapes. This was like 2009 or whatever it was, even going back before. You know, how about getting some Japanese wrestling? I saw emails from Mark Cuban that said, I am a fan of Japanese wrestling. We've looked into it, but it just isn't feasible, blah, 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 blah. Mark Cuban is aware of Japanese wrestling. He's a fan of pro wrestling. Uh, there, there is uh, New Japan is obviously airing on the network that used to be HDNet, which was started by Mark Cuban. There are ties there, and there have been whispers. Now, if New Japan, if that's the ace in the hole that they have, because there is some giant ace in the hole that they have that people that we talk to will not tell us what it is, but they keep alluding to this big secret ace in the hole that can be the potential game changer for New Japan. I honest to God, Rich, I'm not lying when I say I don't know what it is, right? The people will not say. They just will not tell us. We're left in the dark. If it happens to be Mark Cuban, now you've got a real player in the game because you have a guy who can match the WWE dollar for dollar if they want to get into that sort of battle. Mark Cuban may be more rich than Vince McMahon. Is he? I mean, I think he is, right? Isn't Mark Cuban? Um. Yeah. Oh, God. He's a billionaire, I'd he's, right? Yeah, Mark Cuman's. Yeah. Let, let me find Mark Cuman's net worth. Sure he's I mean, a billionaire. It's, it's, yeah, he's three point three billion. Yeah, so yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a little bit. Vince McMahon. I mean, Vince McMahon oh, is yeah. sometimes a billionaire, usually not. So I mean, he's got at least three times the amount of money that Vince McMahon has. But here's the thing: let's say you even get a Mark Cuban on board. Wrestling's not his. He might be a wrestling fan, but is, is it his life passion like it is Vince McMahon? Is he willing to really dig deep and and and, and fight this man tooth and nail? Right, never sleep and, and do the stuff that Vince does. Yeah, no. Because at the end of the day, the reason Mark Cuban is worth three point three billion dollars is because he's a smart and savvy businessman. And as soon as he sees something as being a losing financial battle, he's the kind of guy who's just going to cut bait because he doesn't care. It's not about, you know, it's, it's not going to be about ego with him because it's not his, this isn't his life passion, this business. It's always going to be about ego as much as it is about dollars with a Vince McMahon. So while, you know, a big time money player like that can help change the game. And look, Kadani's not exactly a poor man either. If he could somehow get somebody like Mark Cuban on his side, now you've got me at attention. Okay, because, you know, Mark Cuban's a, a, a 50 year old man who has the energy of a 30 year old. He's vibrant. He's, you know, he's got he's, you know, when he gets into something, he's passionate about it and he has the money to make something like this work. And, and but but look, I don't think Kadani on his own. This is a bad idea. He doesn't understand the snake pit that he's climbing into yeah. by coming over here. I am not super optimistic about this at all. I mean, even if they just chose to stay in their lane, which he's not doing, he's talking about going to war. I mean, the guy's nuts. It's unwinnable. I, I don't – there's no winning path here for him, you know? And Meltzer's comparison was Jim Crockett. You know, Jim Crockett, you fight McMahon, you're going to lose. The one caveat I'll add to that is Kadani can lose on these shores, and it will mean nothing back home. He can lose in America – and, and his company's growth, I mean, he can go back to Japan with egg on his face, a couple million dollars in the hole, but the company can still be strong where it needs to be strong, which is Japan. Whereas when Jim Crockett went head-to-head with McMahon, when he lost, he was just out of business. That was it. He was done. He couldn't crawl back to Carolina and just do business in Greensboro. Kadani can crawl back to Greensboro. You see what I'm saying, Rich? It, it's... 
Yeah. His business isn't it, 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 it isn't make or break to make it going head to head with Vince McMahon. He can lose that battle and still continue to grow in Japan. So I would add that little cap. I don't completely agree with Meltzer there. I don't see this as a Crockett versus McMahon apples to apples scenario. I yeah, I, my one reservation about that though, my one little hang up on you know, I, I don't think that yeah, failure in America isn't going to be failure abroad. But my my one question about that is what happens then if because he's talking about a lot of this stuff. Uh, and, and let me get the exact quote out here. Um, uh, for the Japanese talent, there are all sorts of options. Some guys may want to tour there. Some guys may want to spend half the year there. Still, others may want to take two years or so and move out there. There are a lot of ways around that, and I'm open to opinions from the wrestlers. So he's talking about a lot of this stuff of like guys coming over, when they're going to be working. You don't want to. I don't know how much you want to stretch yourself thin with going to America. Cause if you're really going to go full on, if you're going to really do this and he's saying in 2018, this is, you know, we're going to go full out with this. No, it won't affect the business. I don't think people are going to stop watching in Japan, but people might start going to less shows. It might, you might lose a little bit. If like Naito is in America for half the year, you know what I mean? And that's guy's not a draw there anymore. We have no idea what the landscape of 2018. I'm just throwing names out again, but like, that's one of my concerns is that don't stretch yourself too thin. Focus on what you're good at right now, which is Japan. You're really, you're, you're building something there. You got something going there. You're not really, I, I think he's got this idea and, and they're doing very well in Japan. But he's got this idea that they're like uh, this like crazy great entity in Japan, and they're just killing it. And it's like they're doing great, they're doing very good in Japan, but they're not like a, a this this gigantic mega you know company there. I mean, they, they still have a little a lot of room to grow in Japan. They're on at three o'clock in the morning. That's what I mean. Like you, you've got bigger. I mean, that's a fire that you could you could work on right now, trying to get that going a little bit before you worry about this. But again, he's looking at the future of this. But my concern is that if you you stretch a little too thin, where you have a lot of your guys in America because you're really trying to make this America thing work out. If it's something where you run a few shows and go, okay, this isn't going to work. We're out. We're done. We're gone. No, that's not going to affect anything at all. If you start being this thing where it's like, no, we're going to try this for another year. Okay, we need to have bigger guys go over there. Okay, you have to go here the whole year. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff could affect Japanese business if you dig your heels in and go, no, we got to make this thing work in America. Yeah, you can't get hyper. That could be a concern. You can't get hyper focused on the United States at the expense of your Japanese business. Exactly. Yeah, if, if you do a few shows and go, okay, this shit doesn't work, whatever, we're done. No, that's not going to have any effect whatsoever. It's the dig your heels in part where he just really, really, really wants it, it to work. It becomes an obsession, and then you're, you're right, hurting right. your business at home. Now, he did. Now, to be fair, he did talk about a 75-25 ratio of Japanese talent to gaijin talent in Japan, and doing that in America as well with a 75-25 split with English-speaking talent being the, being the larger portion of the ratio. Now, see, to me, that's a red flag, too, because if you're going to bring New Japan to America, it's got to be the authentic New Japan experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to it. I'm, I'm going to have very little interest in a New Japan show that's 75% English-speaking talent that's strictly American. That's New Japan USA. I'm not interested in New Japan USA. I'm interested in New Japan. But here's the thing. Maybe you use New Japan, authentic New Japan, to break into the market, and then you slowly create English-speaking American and Canadian stars, and then off you go, and it's sort of a, a, a different touring brand to avoid what you're saying. So you don't have to take Okada or Naito and stick them in America for six months.